Like I always say the same thing. You could put every substance in the world in front of me. I will never get high again. Like I got high. It will never reach. I mean, and I'm not saying because I got so high. I'm saying it's done. Like you said, the dopamine is used up. There is a cap on this experience and the cap is, is, is on. Past that cap is only misery, death, poverty, debaucherousness, and like desperation of, of colossal proportions where nobody loves you or people love you, but nobody trusts you and you don't have anything. It's just terrible. It's not like you think it is. That was Dave from Dopey and this is The Share Podcast. It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Share Podcast, and today we have a very special guest. Dave from the Dopey Podcast is joining us, and what an amazing episode this is. There's no need for me to go into details. This episode is about the journey of Dopey, how it came to be, the relationship between Dave and Chris, and what happened in those last few months right before Chris passed away. If anything, the only thing I want to say is thank you, Dave, for being open, honest, and vulnerable with our audience. This episode is dedicated to Chris, to his family, to Dopey Nation, and to all the members in the Share Podcast that miss that dynamic duo. So let's dive into Dave's episode, but first, a quick message from our sponsors. Are you ready to take control of your business, family, and personal life? Are you ready to get clear, get focused, and get results now? Are you ready to boost your confidence through the roof? Well, it's time to level up and add passion, fulfillment, and purpose back into your life right now. My name is Omar Pinto, and I am a certified NLP life coach specializing on enhancing your business, family, and personal life, as well as a certified peer-to-peer recovery specialist who specializes in addiction recovery. Let me show you how to create balance, harmony, and success into your life daily. Go to www.omarpinto.com and schedule a free consultation with me today. Today's episode of the Share Podcast is brought to you by the Share Recovery Community. The Share Recovery Community is our new online recovery resource that offers online recovery meetings as well as peer-to-peer recovery support and coaching that will enhance your journey in recovery. If you find it difficult to make regular meeting attendance in your area or are unable to find the recovery meetings that fit your needs, then the Share Recovery Community is the perfect place for you. And the best part is you can try out the Share Recovery Community for the introductory rate of only $1 in the first month. And after that, it's only $12 a month. That once again include live online meetings, peer-to-peer support, and recovery coaching. So for more information about this amazing recovery resource, Go to www.thesharepodcast.com, go to the top of the navigation bar, and click on the button that says Share Recovery Community, and join the Share Recovery Community for only $1 today. And if you'd like to contribute to the Share Podcast by putting a dollar in the virtual basket, then go to www.thesharepodcast.com, go to the top right corner of the page, and click on the button that says Donate and drop a dollar in the basket today. 
And if you'd like to access another free resource as powerful or even more powerful than the Share Podcast, then join us in the Share Recovery Network. It is our free private Facebook group that is active 24-7 from people all over the world. If you're seeking recovery, then go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in S-H-A-I-R, Recovery Network, and join this free recovery resource today. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's one of the best ways to show your support for the podcast. And speaking of kick-ass reviews, our next review is from Land the Bomb, Experiencing Grace Daily. Oh, thank you so much for your amazing work on this podcast. It has been so instrumental for me as I walk this road of happy destiny in recovery. The guests on your podcast represent the wide spectrum of ideas, thoughts, feelings, and experiences of all of us in recovery. I think each listener can gain a wealth of information within each episode. Seriously, so many light bulb moments I have had listening to your show. Not only do you inspire me to continue working on my recovery and connection to my higher power, HP baby, but I also feel I'm one day at a time becoming closer to understanding my purpose as a mother, student, professional, daughter, sponsee, etc. Please continue your work on this podcast so that others can experience the joy and grace that I know I receive by listening. With love, Lonnie. Lonnie, that was a spectacular review. And my favorite part is that you are connecting with your purpose as a mother, as a student, as a professional, as a daughter, as a sponsee. Every single day, we should be focusing on the legacy we are going to leave behind and showing up every single day as the best version of ourselves. HP, baby. Now a quick message from Transitions Daily and then on to the show. Would you like to join a free anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Then go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Hey, Dave, thanks for joining us. Hey, oh, thank you for having me. Dude, I am so excited to have you on the show, man. How are you feeling? I feel good. It's very exciting to be on the share. You guys are a, a pinnacle of recovery podcasting, and I'm excited <laughs> to be a part of it. I'm serious. I know, I know, but I just can't help it. You know, I'm going to be doing a lot of laughing, so <laughs> we're probably going to be you know doing I mean? a lot of laughing and crying, and, you know, we're going to ebb and flow on this one, man, but, you know, we got a lot to catch up on, and... and in case you guys don't recognize the voice, this is Dave from Dopey, and he is here today. I am so honored to have him on the show. Um, I didn't think I was going to have him this soon, but uh, I am so glad and so grateful that he agreed to to join us. So thank you again for joining us, Dave. Are you kidding? It's totally my pleasure. Uh, my schedule is not very booked, so the second you offered, I'm, I'm super psyched to come on. Uh, we always were big fans of your show and we always knew, uh, all the good stuff that you do. And we totally admired everything that you were doing. So it's, ha I'm happy to be a part of it. Happy to be here. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have you and folks today. The reason why I wanted to have Dave on here is just so we could chat. I want to see how he's doing. I want to see how he's doing. And I'm sure that a lot of our listeners, 
Uh, I can't tell you how many people reached out to me, Dave. I can't, I can't tell you how many people reached out to me and said, Hey, did you hear what happened to Chris? And how are you doing? And do you know how Dave's doing? And have you talked to Dave? Cause they know that yeah. you and I are close. And that as, as delicate as it is, it's amazing. Oh yeah. Like it is like we're a family across the world. It's, it's, it is amazing. And, uh, the thing that the horrible joke that popped into my head as soon as it happened, because the outpouring was so awesome. And even just the number of people interested, the number of people who had so many amazing things to say about Chris, all I could, and, and the number of downloads we got after he died, all I could say was, why didn't we fake his death a year before <laughs> and, let, and let Chris see the whole thing? You know what I mean? Like Chris would have fucking loved it more than anybody. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, yes, it would have been the most I brilliant do. thing we ever did. I mean, half of the fans really thought it was a prank. They thought that Chris was still alive, you know, and like, I don't blame them. It's something we would have done. And like, if we had gotten our, our heads together, it would have been amazing. I mean, we would have lost the trust of our audience, but it would have been worth it. And Chris would have gotten to see. I mean, everybody wants to see how people respond to their death. And um, I could not believe. I mean, people responded to Chris's death to me with so much love yes. that I, I never experienced anything like it. So it was amazing because also we didn't know. We knew we had a cool show. We heard from a, a fair amount of people, but it could have the downloads could have been some dude in Bangladesh just hitting a button. You know, how do we know that all these people care? You know, we didn't know. We didn't know. Like, and it, the outpouring has been humbling and fun. And it's almost like I feel a little guilty to enjoy it so much because Chris isn't around, you know? You well, know what I mean? Is, yeah, I do. And this is great. This is great. This is telling the audience exactly what's going on in your head and what's going on in your heart and in your life right now because that's the big question. Like, what the fuck? How's Dave doing? Uh, they even asked me, hey, oh, or how are you doing? Are you okay? And I'm like, dude, I'm fine. You know, I'm yeah. not fucking, you know, I, I ain't going out on, you know what I mean? Like, I appreciate oh, the yeah. love, right? But I'm not, you know, I'm not doing anything, you know, uh, chaotic or crazy. But the thing is that it touches, it touched so many people in such a different ways. Um, I had people that were just, that just kept PMing me. And they were just like, I can't, I, I, I can't stop thinking about Chris. It's driving me nuts. I miss him yeah. so much. It hurts so bad. And I know. And they you, I'm know. sure if I was yeah. getting it, you were getting it. I think that they leave, they left me alone a little bit, you know, in a way, like yeah. because they could they couldn't really be like that with me because I mean like I was really close with Chris, like to the point where like we did our show, you know, once a week or we sometimes we did it like twice a month. He would come down twice a month, but we would talk every day. Because we would be obsessing about the show, you know, we go over all the nuances of, of the numbers and the this and the that. And like, we had a great time obsessing about it. And then we would obsess about our lives. You know, we were, you know, I don't think we were the best friends, you know, in the universe before Dopey. I mean, we liked each other. But once the show got rolling, it was fucking such a beautiful friendship. And, um, you know, I mean... I can't really accept that he's dead. I don't think, you know what I mean? I think in a lot of ways, I'm still in shock about it. You know, shock like I know he's, 
I know he's gone. You know, I was a pallbearer at his funeral. Uh, I, I was in the church. And you know what they t- talked about in the church? They fucking talked about dopey. And it was crazy. It was crazy. And I broke down crying. You know what I mean? Like in the church. I wasn't, I, I'm not like a big crier. You know what I mean? Like when, when, when I heard he had died, I thought it was a lie. Like I didn't believe it. Because I was on the phone with him till almost two in the morning the night before he died. And, wow. uh, and he wasn't well. He wasn't well. He was uh, obsessing about, uh, you know, he was having a, a, like a, a, a little fight with his girlfriend. And, and, but he was high. But I didn't realize he was high, you know, and he was bugging out. And, um, and we had this, we would gotten into a fight because we hadn't gotten together to record Dopey in a long time. We had been doing it on Skype. And, um, and he knew he should have been coming. And I think he felt really guilty because he was high. And I had asked him, you know, because he was acting weird. I said, are you, what are you doing? You know, you're acting weird. His yep. sponsor called me. You know, his friends called me. And I was like, you're not acting like yourself. And, I, and, and what my sponsor told me when I told him the story is I was in denial of Chris's relapse. Like that I could see it. And I, and I, but, I, but I was in denial of it. And I was. And I, and I actually, I went through all the weird self-esteem stuff where I thought, Chris isn't interested in Dopey anymore. Maybe Chris isn't interested in me anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like I went through that kind of stuff. I really did, you know? Um, like a and, I, and then, I, yeah, it was very much like that. You know, and it's the other funny thing is like, you know, you do this recovery podcast, we do this recovery podcast, but I'm so fucking full of shit and like uh, blowing smoke in my ass. I think of this conversation as though when the Beatles went to visit Elvis and Elvis said to the Beatles, at least you guys had each other. You know what I'm saying? And I feel uh, like you're, you're by yourself and me and Chris had each other, you know? I mean, absolutely. in terms of like a flea, yeah. a flea on the, on the ass of the, of a monster. That's weird. The flea, obviously, but it's like that. I mean, I got to, and I also got to hide behind Chris all the time and use my big mouth and make stupid jokes and, and we didn't have to take it that seriously because there were two of us. You know, the, the burden of responsibility was off either of us because we had each other. And I miss him, you know. And I just miss uh, his friendship more than anything. I think there was a point I was trying to make before that I've, I've lost, which is why I thought we should be scripted because I lose everything. No, no, we're not, we're not scripting this thing. I got control. I got control. I know what you I want to ask. Lost today? Omar, huh? you know what I lost today? What? Somehow I lost my keys. Like, I don't know what the fuck happened. I'm three years clean. Keys to what? The keys to everything. My keys. My car keys. My house keys. My father's house keys. I just don't know what happened. And it's like, what a weird thing. You still haven't found them? I I think they'll turn up, but I still haven't found them, and it's bugging me out. Huh. That's just, that's the uh, share. What was the last time you lost your keys? I don't remember. Years ago. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I lost my keys. But we could find them. Hopefully we'll find them. Hopefully well, we'll find them. When was the last time you saw them? This morning I had them. I went to my father's house to do some work. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I brought them with me or not, but I called him and he doesn't have them. You better go to know. that house and tear the place apart. Retrace every step you made when you were do- you said you were doing work at the house. That yeah. means you're that means that you were all over the place. And yeah. hey dad, did I leave my keys over there? Here's dad. He looks over. No, they're no, not here. My dad's a nervous. My dad's a nervous wreck. My dad's so, so what did you do? Did he do hot laps in the house? 
No, but my dad lives in an apartment on the 21st uh-huh. floor on 27th Street. The house is not big. The okay. house is little. And, and my dad is fucking thorough and a neurotic Jew. And he's <laughs> fucking searching through couch cushions as soon as I say I lost the keys. You know what I'm saying? It's like, we're like, I will find the keys, but like, it's just interesting to be three years in recovery, which is not a lot, but for me, it's the most time I've ever gotten. Um, have, and my, my life is good. But like to lose my keys today, it was like, it was a weird kind of feeling. Like it was a, a weird reminder of how things have been. Do you know what I'm saying? There's just well, something I w- there. I would get on my knees, right? And I would pray to the God of the lost keys. And I would say, what do I need to learn? Because obviously you need me to, you're trying to teach me something. So what do, what do I need to learn so that I can find my keys? I'll and do then, it. You got nothing to lose. Got nothing no. to lose. And if worst comes to worst, I'll make new copies of the keys and everything Absolutely. and all will be well. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I thought about specifically is right at the beginning when we first started talking about the outpouring. Okay, so all all the outpouring, the outpouring from the fans and knowing now, like you said, like I had no idea. Some guy in Bangladesh is like hitting the button over, which is impossible because that was the case and I'd have three times as many (laughs) downloads. All right. So, so the thing is, you'd have an army of Bangladeshis pushing. Totally, the button. just keep yes. pushing the button. Push the share button, please. You put the share button. So, what my the first thing that crossed my mind is as we're going through this, as I'm getting these messages, as the outpouring is happening, you realize the impact that Dopey had, right? And it's Dopey, just like it's share, right? I try and take myself out of it. I'm a vessel. I carry the message. Something happened. I got an idea. I started running with it. It worked. So there was a need for it. It's share. It's dopey. And so what, what is, what you and Chris have been able to do is leave a legacy and think about the fact that even though this horrific thing happened and it's a cautionary tale, think about the legacy that both of you guys get to leave behind. Oh, definitely. I mean, and also just, uh, Chris was just so smart. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, Wicked when we went smart. on your show, brilliant. Yeah. When we went on your show, he, you know, he dominated the share session. Yes. There's another reason why I wanted to come back on because I was like, what the fuck? I didn't get to say anything last time. Um, but, um, <laughs> he's, he's like fucking, he was one of the smartest people I've ever met. And, uh, to quote one of my, best friends he said chris was the the smartest idiot you could ever meet the smartest i think he said the smartest retarded person but we don't want to say retarded person anymore the smartest (laughs) idiot you'd ever meet because chris knew he didn't know a lot of stuff okay he didn't know anything about music he knew nothing about art film television he had terrible taste uh you know politics he didn't know about current events he, he didn't know about a lot of stuff but the stuff that he knew about, he knew fucking cold. He knew recovery. The word, the, the irony is he knew recovery cold. He knew psychology cold. But the thing he knew more than anything was drugs and manipulation. Those were his, that was his cosmic wheelhouse, you know, and, uh, and he was a master. And um, it really just shows, like, how that can bite you in the ass, like, when that's what you're good at. And, like, and I think that, 
he had lost his humility, you know, and I, I love Chris and I'm very angry at him for this whole thing. Like I'm fucking pissed. Of course. Um, but he, you know, in one time we did a show on dopey and I, I always wanted to like come up with topics, you know, and the top, and I, we rarely did that, but a topic that I wanted to do first, I did regret because I had so many regrets and I wanted to talk about regrets. And I talked about regrets for like a half an hour or 45 minutes. And I said, Chris, it's your turn. You know, what are your regrets? He said, I regret nothing. You know, he's like, I regret nothing. He, he'd been to 15 rehabs. His parents <laughs> probably spent $900,000 on his, on his treatment. You know, Obscene. He, had, he had a traumatic brain injury. He had, he had been to prison twice. He had beat up assaulted cops. He had tried to rob a veterinarian for phenobarbital while in a blackout. And he says, I regret nothing. <laughs> I mean, and then another topic we did was character defects. And I said, oh, well, I've got this character defect, this character defect, this character defect, this character defect. And I said, Chris, why don't you tell the Dopey Nation about your character defects? He said, I only have one character defect, and that's pride. And um, and and this is where we're at. It was his pride. He could not admit what had happened, and it cost him his life. You know, and it's fucking sad and horrible. But he knew himself. I tell you this much: as you were saying that, right, and people listening to as people are listening to this episode, and they're listening to you say what Chris would be, what Chris said. So it was it was this the 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 whole idea of the regrets. And I can actually hear him see him and I can see him and I can hear his voice saying, "Well, I don't have any." I have no regrets. And then I, he looked I, at me with that stupid look. Right. And and yeah. you know, he's like, "Fuck you." You know what I mean? Like you you be weak. I'm not going to play that game. You know, right. and of course, I'm sure he had tons of regrets. You know, cuz because in his quiet moments, he would talk about, you know, how much he wished he hadn't cost his parents so much money and he wished he hadn't lost so much trust. And I think the biggest thing about the whole thing, no matter what he learned, that's my train, the train in the background. Can you hear that? I love lonesome that. I blow? All the noise from the dopey interview was fantastic. Oh, dude, I was still smoking cigarettes then. I was holding my laptop and I was running to the balcony to smoke cigarettes and close the door and run back in. That's because Chris was talking. I, I was like, I got time. I can I can just do this, you know. Um, I wasn't doing I, video back then. Like, if you're okay with it, I'm going to launch the video too. For the thing? No, nobody can see this, this thing. Okay, nobody can right. see me. Okay, it's, so it's just... Scratch that, guys. You can't, you can't see Dave. Or unless you do, you have any technology that can blur me? No, 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 no. Anyway. Because, like, no, for no, whatever no. reason, we started the show anonymous, you know, and we never. And as easy it is to find out who we are, because it's very easy to find out who we are. We know who um, you are. Come on. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, Chris didn't want to be unanonymous because of school he thought that it was going to fuck with him being a, a doctor and i didn't want to be unanonymous or known because i didn't want my daughter's friends to be able to google our name and just have heroin addict pop up you know heroin 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 methadone heroin 
speed, whatever, you know, I just wanted to have some sort of distance from our last name and drugs, you know, from my family, you know, I, and I, I, get that. I don't know how, you know, cause like our, your show is all HP baby and make a brighter tomorrow. And our show is very much heroin, 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 methadone, heroin, <laughs> you know, as you were talking, I go, Oh, I get it. I get it. I have no problems with my daughter listening to any of the episodes I've done, except for the one I did on Dopey. So it does make sense. I want to be anonymous even on Dopey. Of course. <laughs> you, are, you are amazing on Dopey. Dude, that and was so like, much fun. That was one of the best even, times. Just to, just to be free. I want to be free. Just say, it's like, fuck it. I'm going all in. Let's go. Let's do this. Right? I'm well, going to just was, bear all. It was funny though, because like we, I wrote you because like, you know, I'm very competitive and I'm like, okay, this guy's got this big recovery show and we should be a part of it somehow. And you were very receptive Mm -hmm. and you called in and we started just kind of like sniffing each other out. Mm -hmm. And then you realized like you could go all in. And Mm -hmm. when you went all in, we were so excited that you went all in and like Chris loved it so much. I mean, I loved it too, but Chris loved it. And Chris would never shut up about you. He'd be like, that O, that O, he's, he's really, he really did it for us. You know what I mean? And then like when you would pop on to our show, those were my favorites. Like when you popped on just about like numbers and you popped on about business models and you popped out about your feud with our fan, Scott. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with Scott sometimes. Like God bless him. If it wasn't for that guy, I just have to say, I have to, number one, I have to apologize on his behalf because, you know, he's a little bit of a bully. In South is Carolina. It, wait, wait a minute. Scott what? What's his... Uh... Scott Countryman. <laughs> oh, no. Then that's not the same one. Because another Scott hit well, me up. Dude, I got to tell you how many people jumped into the SRC after after the thing happened with Chris. After uh, SRC. Yeah, the Share Recovery Community, which is the... SRC, baby. No, I know. I'm in the Share Recovery Community. I just never called it the SRC. No, you're I'm in, in the Share Recovery Network. Okay. Different. Talk to me. Talk to okay. me. Okay. Share Recovery Network is the big one. The one that's got 5,300 addicts in the private group. The SRC is the Share Recovery Community, which is $12 a month. Right. You know, so Scott and, is and, not in the SRC. Oh, heck no. No, 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 no. He, he, yeah, country me. He hates me. I think, I, and uh, I think he still hates me, right? Oh, and, and then here's the thing. They added me to the dopey private group. Dopey Nation. And, then, and, and they're still talking shit. Right? Who's Scott? And, and I apologize like it's, for him. It's, it's fine. It's fine. What are you going to do? I have to say do? this. It, it's like partially it's my fault because like I'm like I like like to be controversial on the show. And I think and I think like it rubbed off on him a little bit. And like in some ways, like, you know, we got Artie. Lang, it took me two and a half years to get Artie Lang to come on Dopey. And the reason Artie Lang came on Dopey was because Scott Countryman took it upon himself to fucking taunt him on Twitter like and, and say he's a fat piece of shit and say he's a lying junkie fuck and to say all these things to Artie until Artie like blew his stack and tweeted like 50 million things at Scott Countryman. He called him Scott Countryman and he was like, you're a loser. And like it was this whole thing. But because Scott went after him, Artie was like, fuck it. He put, Artie tweeted his personal phone number. After Scott Countryman went on after him so that we could call him and get him on the show. So Scott like laid down his fucking shit for Dopey. So like that was beautiful. 
We do not want him to beef with you, though. You know, I think he felt like a certain way about you charging for recovery coaching, like it's mm-hmm. any of his business. You know, but oh. I, I blame. I, I take responsibility. Huh? Yeah, he was all pissed off that I was charging a hundred dollars an hour, right? And it's different. It's 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 not. Rec- I'm not your sponsor. It's actual life coaching. So anyway, let's not go down that road. This is not no, but I want to say one one more mm. quick thing. Scott is a good guy. Scott I, Scott has been a. I will I will back you up on that. He he did what he did, and he got already on, and so that's what's important. It's it's those fans, those diehard fans that you have to give the props to. You have to give the props to the diehard fans that are willing to go to any length to get it done. He did it. Well, it sh- so, it shocked me that we got this this loyal bunch of fans, and like, because I'll tell you, like, we started doing the show. And the show wasn't going to be about recovery. The show was just going to be war stories. In fact, we were going to call the show War Stories. And then there was a show about actual military war stories. It's called War Stories. <laughs> so we couldn't use the name. And we're sitting there. And like the day we, we came up with Dopey, it was like the greatest day ever. You know, because I was like, I love dopey that word. Is dopey is 10 times better than War Stories. Oh, Dopey is dopey so good. Dopey is because it's also dope. Like, it, yeah, but we also have the dopiest podcast. Yes. It's just like my grandfather would be like, you're a dope. That show is dopey. You know what I mean? And all the bad connotations. You know, and I remember I was walking down Clinton Street on the Lower East Side, and there was some kid standing on the street with a black baseball hat with gold letters on it that said dope. Okay? And I could just imagine my grandfather seeing him and be like, look at this dope. You know, and like just that whole thing. And I was like, we got to call it Dopey, you know, and we were so excited. And then we recorded, I don't know, five episodes in like a day because we were recording like 20 minute episodes at the beginning. We recorded five episodes. And on the sixth episode, I was like, dude, we have to talk about recovery because, you know, we're, <laughs> we're both in recovery. What are we going to do? We're going to we're going to act like we still get high. You know, like that doesn't make any sense. And, and, and as we went forward, like. We were talking to the fans, and I thought like it would be fun to play sort of like a preacher role. And I was like, "Stay strong, my dopey nation," you know. And it was like a joke, and it really took on, you know, it took it took on reality. And like the dopey nation is very real, mm-hmm. and uh, and the dopey nation has become international. You know, we have a huge like listener base in Australia. Like it's weird. We have a huge listener base in England. I'm sure you do too. Yep, it's like absolutely fucking it's just like it's magical and it's like these people that listen to our show you know are mostly struggling with addiction and um and i knew and i i based all of our show on howard stern you know in terms of i knew that when i listened to howard stern i felt less alone mm-hmm. and i knew that when i listened to howard stern i felt like i was among friends mm-hmm. and um and i didn't know how good me and chris were going to be you know, I remember the first time I listened to Dopey, I was like, this is pretty good, you know, and, and I felt like I was among friends and I just felt like the the addicts out there would hear it and would feel like they knew what we were talking about, whereas maybe some of the normies wouldn't. You know, if you're an addict and you listen to Dopey, you probably can't. It's like the, one of the only places you're going to hear talk like that. It's so casual. You know what I mean? And so matter of fact, because like, that's our life. You know, that was the life we lived and we paid the price and Chris ultimately paid with his life. Well, that's you know what enough? I want to dive into too, because I think that's a lot of why 
people were coming to you and checking on you and even checking on me to say, hey, are you all right? Because there is this whole idea of being a celebrity, whatever whatever the case may be, celebrity recovery, celebrity and weight loss, celebrity on TV, celebrity status has pressure. So it's one thing to be climbing up the ladder. It's another thing to all one day realize that something has happened. I'm not I'm no longer getting five downloads and wondering, you know, is this going anywhere? Is this going to do anything? Is this a waste of time? To all of a sudden going, we have the dopey nation. We have a responsibility. We have we have something. And so how much of that plays a part? The pressure of being a celebrity. How much has that played a, a role in your life? And ultimately, how much did it have in Chris's life that you can share? Well, I think uh, the phrase celebrity is an incredibly generous phrase to use oh, when stop describing. Stop it. Well, no, dude, let me just give you an example, okay? I'll give you an example. On Friday night, I put out uh, the Dopey episode with, with one of the MTV teen moms, this woman, Amber Portwood. She's on Dopey this week. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she was great. And, um, and I, I stayed up till midnight to post the episode. Then in the morning, I woke up at 6 in the morning, and I walked to the restaurant, and I waited tables for 12 hours from 9 in the morning till 9 at night. And while I waited tables, my phone is buzzing with how dope my show is. And yet I'm worried about who's getting French fries. And I don't feel very much like a celebrity. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like you cannot have a more humbling situation or less celebrity like situation. But having said that, I'll say that when Chris died, I felt this pressure. Like I was not going to stop the show. Like I felt a pressure to make the show. I I made the show the same week, The, the week he died. He died on a Tuesday and we aired usually on Saturdays. And I knew that I knew on Wednesday that I was going to put a show up on Saturday, you know, and I knew that even if I I thought that that week show was just going to be 10 minutes of me telling everybody exactly what happened because they needed to know, you know, we couldn't go into blackout when, when Chris died. You know, we needed to be responsible to to the dopey nation and and to these people that obviously cared about us and cared about our message. We needed something needed to be said, you know, and I didn't know. I thought it was going to be 10 minutes. You know, my wife was like, don't make it a show, you know, just make it brief and do 10 minutes. And that's what I had been planning on doing. And then as the week went by, I was just talking to so many people like in Chris's life. Uh, in the dopey kind of universe and, and, you know, my best friends. And, and then finally, I think it was on Thursday night, I talked to his girlfriend and her name is Annie and she found his body. And, um, and she told me about what that was like. And I realized that she had to come on the show if she wanted to. And she did. And Annie is this brilliant Venezuelan uh, medical student. She's in Harvard. She's in Harvard for psychiatry. And I just knew that she was going to be incredible on the show. 
And she was so matter of fact and so plain to the facts, the medical facts. And then so emotional about this loss that it was like, it's probably the best episode we ever did. It wasn't obviously fun or on drugs, addiction and dumb shit. It was on drugs and addiction and losing our friend, losing her, you know, her partner, losing my partner, losing our partner in a way, you know? And it was like, it was like fucking balls to the wall, like real, um, and very, very hard to do and hard to listen to. And neither of us broke down, but I heard from hundreds of people who, who cried their eyes out during the episode. And then somebody who was very smart said to me, I think we cried because you couldn't, you know, and it was like very, such a Ooh, beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, so it was like, I felt, and then every week to be totally honest with you, since Chris died, I do feel this pressure like, how am I going to get the show up? You know, what, how, because our show, half the time we didn't have anything. Half the time it was like, literally like, what kind of ice cream did you eat tonight? You know, like what TV show? I mean, literally, like there was a show like where he'd be standing in front of the freezer and talking about which ice cream he wanted. And I would tell him what I liked. And then we would talk about our favorite Sopranos episode. And we'd be like, stay strong, Dopey Nation, toodles. And that was the show, you know? So now I'm in this spot where I can't do that. You know, and I, I certainly can't do what you do and I can't do what Mark Marin does and I can't do. So I need to figure it out. And I feel pressure for that. And I feel pressure to keep the show good because I always wanted to make a show. You know, so I got you. And I, I want to circle back to that. But I just I think that just the whole persona that Chris had built, because the show has to be funny. It has to be Should funny. Be. Should be. It can't just be okay. It's got to be funny. That's pressure, man. Remember Dave Chappelle? $60 million yeah. chucked to the side. Couldn't handle the pressure. Being, it's one thing to be funny. It's another thing to be expected to be funny. And to have to deliver. And, uh, and so here I am. I'm thinking about Chris and I'm thinking about how you guys deliver. And then the idea that is this sustainable? Can we sustain dopey, funny, right? Bringing, you know, bringing the, you know, drop the mic, bring the noise, drop the hammer, whatever. And, and, did you guys ever feel that? Because here's the thing. No. I have a script for a reason. I have a script for a reason, so I don't have to worry about dropping the mic. Read the script. Do not deviate. And I don't have to worry right. about it. And it's somebody else's story. It's right. half the more than half the, the share podcast is somebody else's story. You two guys are going back and forth about ice cream and Arnie and underwear and his girlfriend and whatever. You guys never felt the pressure. No, I really, I mean, for some reason, I think it was because it's like, we didn't feel the pressure because it wasn't about like being funny, like Monty Python was funny mm -hmm. or being funny, like fucking Seinfeld is funny. Mm -hmm. We were funny. Like you're funny, like with your roommate, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like everything's funny. Right. You know, and if it sucks, it doesn't, you're like, this sucks. And then that's funny. Yes. You know, I think, I think more than funny, it was just honest. You know what I mean? And 
And when honesty, and like, I, I'm just, I put my, I'm self, we're both, me and Chris, we're both so self-deprecating. So when we put each other down, and, and I have to say, Chris was an amazing sport because I would put him down a billion times more than he would put me down. Like half of the material was me telling Chris he was full of shit. He's a liar. He's a people pleaser. He's a big dope. Like it was mostly like if we ran out of stuff, I always knew I could put Chris down, you know, or I could just talk about what I was watching on TV. And Chris, Chris was like, he was just an amazing straight man. You know what I mean? Like he, he took it. He knew he wasn't what I said he was and he could laugh it off, you know, and he made the show work. Basically, he was incredibly generous like that. So um, I'd like to do a couple of things. I'd like to do a couple of things. One one would be I'd love to know. Well, I I know you didn't get a a, a chance to, to tell your story last time, but when we closed, we closed strong. Yeah, and I rem- we we close strong, um, but I'd like to know the journey of Dopey. I'd like to know the journey of how this whole thing began, the the relationship that you develop with, like you were just talking about in the beginning about how you guys became friends, brothers, married, every day talking every single day, and I'd love to know what happened in the last few months when you knew connecting with when you knew something was wrong and just did not know how to address it, how to, how to come at it. How do you feel about that? I feel great. I love talking about this kind of stuff. You know, I'm happy to talk about anything you want to, anything you want to talk about. Ask me, ask me where you want me to begin and I'll I'll talk. All right. I want to know about, here's how it started. Chris and I, we did this, we met here, we launched it and then bring us up until you know, when, when Chris passed away, I, I think that's what our listeners want to hear. And I'll interject as we go along. Great. Um, I met Chris, um, basically seven years ago, seven years ago and change. I showed up at, um, a rehab in Canaan, Connecticut called mountainside. And I was a mess. I had a broken nose. I had a black eye. I was coming off of, you know, a ton of heroin, a ton of, uh, Benzos, Xanax, Clonopin, that kind of stuff. And I had a, a baby at home, uh, or I, my 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 wife and my baby had left, you know, and I was alone. And I had basically built up an insane heroin and pill habit. And I went to detox, and then I went to Mountainside, and I got to Mountainside Rehab, and uh, I'm smoking cigarettes and you know, the cigarette smoking area. And and there was Chris. And Chris was like, I don't know if you ever saw uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But if there was like, you know, the big chief, you know, Uh like the guy who's just kind of stuck there and like part of the the machinery. And like Mm -hmm. Chris was like the the white, big Catholic, Boston, handsome version of the big chief. (laughs) You know, he's standing there in his sweatpants and like a blue T-shirt. I don't think he was even smoking. But he just had this look on his face like he belonged there as much as the benches, as much as the ashtrays. You know, he was just there. And, and I met him through this very, like, cool beatnik kid. Like, me and the beatnik kid were, like, playing guitar and talking about the Velvet Underground or something. And Chris is like, hi. You know, and, and you have to understand, Chris had been to 15 rehabs. So Chris is, like, not in 
He was, he was more than a veteran. He was like furniture. He was like a clinician, but he had to have to live there and wear the slippers and stuff. <laughs> and like, and, and, and immediately I saw that Chris was very strange. He was very strange, but he was also very smart. And like when he would, when the light would go on in his eyes, you would connect with him. And like, I was there for 28 days and like, you know, most days I didn't see Chris, but I would see him maybe twice a week or three times a week. And it would always be just by himself. Like he would be the last person in the cafeteria. He would be like putting like two different kinds of cereal in a bowl and he'd be sitting there alone in the fucking cafeteria, just eating like with these wide eyes. And he'd be like, Oh, hello. And you just sit with him and he's like this fucking mental patient at the rehab. But then you hang out with him and his stories, like you never hear stories like that. And, and that's another reason why Dopey was, was so big because his stories were just insane. Or we would sit like there was a place where there were these rocking chairs in, on the, the thing. And we would sit there for hours and we'd watch this woman running. Okay. And he was like, I really like that girl. And he would just like pine away for this girl like very sweet stuff, you know, and it was like, it was like you were in college or you were in some strange place and you were stuck together. And that's how we met. And, um, and then while we were there, the beatnik kid got released and he died within a oh, day. Oh shit. And he was our buddy. And, and immediately that created our bond, his death. You know, the kid's name was Francis, and he was bursting with life and intelligence and talent. He was this insane guitar player, singer, beautiful fucking kid. Um, and he was, a, he was a odd, an oddball, and, and me and Chris were both oddballs, and we took to him, and we took to each other. And But, I mean, Chris had very good boundaries because Chris had been in so many treatments, and he wasn't looking for a new best friend. And I was like, whatever. I gave him my number, and I left after 28 days. Chris stayed in a 28 day program, maybe for six months. You know, that's how, that's how, when I was there, he had been there for three months already and he stayed another three months. And, and at some point after I had left, he started calling, he called me and not like, you know, if it was me, if I called somebody and I had a good conversation, I'd call them every day because that's how I am. But Chris called once, call again in a month. You know, he, he was just very loosey goosey. We'd have a great conversation and we wouldn't talk for six weeks or something. And then I lived on, I lived in Manhattan and he, he was very like into the idea of Manhattan and he liked Manhattan. He used to, whenever he went on a relapse, he would wind up in Harlem in a crack house, you know? So like he, he is, he just was like, he romanticized Manhattan and, and then he would, he wound up moving to Brooklyn and running a sober house in Brooklyn. And I was in Manhattan. I was working at this restaurant that I still work at, that I was working on before the relapse, before like the crazy dope run. And uh, he would come visit me at the restaurant and he would bring his girlfriends. And I remember like, I don't know why he would do it. I think he wanted to like impress them that he knew somebody that worked in a restaurant. And I think he wanted to see what I would think of, of the woman. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time I ran into him and they had just left a sex shop and they had just bought nipple clamps. And I was like, oh, you know, and he was like, Shh. he was like embarrassed, but still very <laughs> proud that they had bought the nipple clamps. And I was just like, who's this guy? You know, and, and then, you know, he, and then he relapsed, <laughs> you know, he relapsed fucking terrible in that you know, the, the, it was like the most epic dopey relapse in the history of relapses where he was the manager of a sober house in yep. Brooklyn. 
And he wound up locking himself in the office, tripping ecstasy and acid in, in an office, and then and then shooting dope and smoking crack in this in the in the office of a sober house, surrounded by strangers' urine, you know. And and I just couldn't believe it, you know. And and then he started reaching out to me, like, "Do I want to trip acid with him?" And I was clean at that point, and I was like, "No." I was like, "I don't want to trip acid," you know. I don't think I, I don't know what what someone would have to pay me to fucking take LSD, even in a relapse, like. I do not need that kind of mental commitment or confusion. Like if I ever had a relapse, it was not going to be on LSD. I, I you know, anyway. And then Chris, after really? I, Chris, I I've, no, I've I often, I've often thought if I did, it would be on ayahuasca or, or LSD. But that's why it's not really a relapse. Yeah. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. I'm not going to do it. Okay. Now, real, real quick though, when he called you and said that, because yeah. you guys were friends. Or, or we were friends. Okay, we were friends. Did you go, dude? What the fuck is wrong with you? Why would you call me? You know, I'm. You know, I'm in recovery. Why are you going to tempt me with this shit? Well, he texted me. He texted me. Do you want to take LSD with me? Uh-huh. And I said, and I texted back, no, <laughs> I'm clean. Uh, right. And, and he te- and he texted me. He said, fine, let's just get dope. That's what he said. <laughs> you know, thinking that I would go for that. You know, and I said, and I said, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yep. You know, he said, sorry. I don't I think he ignored it. I think when Chris was using, he just was gone. You know what I mean? Like, I think he went on to the next person that maybe he could get to, to be corrupt with him. And I don't think he ever found anybody. I think he wound up relapsing by himself. He wasn't mm-hmm. somebody that took hostages when he would relapse. I don't know why he asked me. I, in retrospect, I'm honored that he asked me. And then. But then as time went on, you know, his relapse went crazy and, um, and my recovery ended. I wound up relapsing myself and my relapse became just like weed and, uh, and then occasionally taking pills. And Chris, you know, he was drinking to blackout stage. He, he, had, he had burned down his relationship. He had obviously lost that job and he found himself back in Great Barrington to try to, to get himself straight. He would call Great Barrington the source, you know, the source of his recovery. So he returned to the source to find his recovery. Barrington and, is? Uh, Great Barrington, Massachusetts. It's like this recovery town okay. where all the people from our rehab get sober jobs. There's like a yoga center. There's this, there's that. Like, it, you should check it out. You'd get a kick out. Okay. It's very beautiful. It's in the Berkshires, and there's a lot of cool people, and, and they look out for each other as much as they can, you know? Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, Chris wound up getting clean and I wound up relapsing and um, I wound up, you know, smoking weed every day. I really missed smoking pot at the time. And then I started dabbling with pills and stuff. And then when my relapse uh, got to a head, I had basically fucked up the, my custody of my kid mm, and, uh, yeah. and my wife had, had found out. Yep. And, um, and when she found out, she said, you're not getting custody anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had gotten the only reason I had gotten the 18 months clean in the first place was to get the, the overnights yep. with my kid, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so then after I had had them and I wasn't involved in recovery when I had the 18 months, I wanted to be high. I wasn't really sober. You know what I mean? Like I was going to meetings and I wasn't using, but I was like, I was really white knuckling it. You know, I could not I, I couldn't see it. You know what I mean? I, all I could see was how hard this was and how much using would give me relief. That, that's really what I was seeing. And until finally, you know, my 
daughter's mother at the time, who's now my fiance, um, she decided she didn't need to drug test me. And once the drug testing stopped within a short amount of time, I was relapsed and smoking weed every day. And then I was dabbling in pills. And when she found out and she found out in this awful way, when she found out, um, she took away the custody. And then when she took away the custody, I was so desperate. I was just, I was as desperate as I'd ever been. I was, I was more desperate than I'd ever been because mm -hmm. here I was, I was uh, 40 years old. And uh, one of the only things I was ever good at was being a dad. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't even good at that because I couldn't fucking keep myself clean. And, 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 and I was so desperate to, to, I mean, I looked at myself and I was so desperate to be a stoner. Like I was so desperate. Like, can I just smoke pot? Mm -hmm. Like I, 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 that was my identity. And like, you know, don't get me wrong. If I only smoke pot, I'm, I'm sure I'd be still smoking pot. My, it, it, you know, it changed. And like, I never was just a stoner, but, but that was like my affliction talking yep. to me and saying, you need this, you need this to be you. You cannot possibly live your life if you don't have this until finally my partner said to me, or, you know, my daughter's mother said to me, uh, it's over. You can visit your daughter once a week. She can't come to your house. She can't spend the night. You're not spending the night here. And I'm grasping at straws to figure out how I can still smoke pot. That's when I knew it was done. You know, I went, I remember it was a Thursday. It was, it was actually, it was August 13th, three years ago. And I went to an AA meeting and I actually, I, you know, it was Chris's girlfriend at the time who was in recovery invited me to go to the AA meeting. Okay. Mm. Um, really? And I went, yes. And I went to the AA meeting with Chris's girlfriend because Chris had brought this girlfriend around and she was, she was in recovery around New York. And I knew that, and, and I knew she was, so I had asked her where I could go. And it was a Thursday, I went to an AA meeting and I was still planning on getting high that night. But I went to that meeting and I raised my hand and I said, I have a day. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I wasn't going to fuck it up. I wasn't going to go home. Was Chris sober? Back yeah, Chris, okay. Chris had gotten okay, sober. Time. Okay. Uh -huh. Chris had gotten sober. Um, he had been sober for a year and a half okay. when I got my first day back. And, and then that's when my friendship with Chris really began in earnest because I knew Chris. And I knew what a drug addict he was. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if he could have a year and a half and he seemed happy yep. that he could teach me something and he could help me because I, I really loved Chris and I loved his way. You know, he was incredible. Like we said, he was incredibly smart and, um, and he had been through it. You know what I mean? Like I, I was a bad junkie, but Chris was like king of the fucking rotten apples. You know, he just did everything fuck to hell. You know, he didn't use the way I used he, but he would use like 10 times worse for three week periods. I used like over dozens of years, you know, like in the house, fucking buying two bags at a time. Chris would use like every bag and wind up in the psych ward, you know, and, and then he'd wind up someplace else. By the time I got clean, um, I was very much relying on Chris. You know, I was calling him on a daily basis. I was whining to him about my family being apart. I was wondering what could I do? And Chris gave me the advice that you give somebody said, said, uh, you know, basically he said, keep coming back. He said, go to a meeting tomorrow. He said, talk about it. He said, and, and Chris also said one of my favorite things ever when I was relapsed on weed and I said, Chris, I think I can smoke pot. He said, well, Dave, you know, smoke pot until you do heroin again. 
and then you're gonna know you can't smoke pot. You know, and, and I just love that. You know, you know, and, and basically that's what happened. It didn't happen with heroin. It happened with pills. But it was like it was just very obvious I couldn't do it. And, and Chris knew the big book backwards and forwards, and he knew about self-centered fear, and he knew about turning things over to a higher power, and he knew that um that it could be okay. You know, he was in peace. He was living in Great Barrington. He was working. He had just completed his undergrad at UMass, like online. And he was just trying to sort out what he was going to do. And I had a project that I was doing back in the day. I was making this web series that he loved. And, and the web series was, was incredibly funny. And, uh, and a big company, it was actually the company that Anthony Bourdain's show was made by, approached me to turn it into a pilot. And when I had told Chris about it, he was like so just enamored with the idea of, of somebody wants to make a pilot with me. It was like, oh my, it was just, he loved this idea. And so after I got clean, he was like, we got to do something. And then I decided I was going to do a clothing line. And I decided the clothing line I was going to do was I was going to make t-shirts that said, oy vey. Okay. Like Jewish people say, oy vey. So I was going to take the Nike swoosh. And instead of just do it, it said oy vey. Or instead of supreme, it said oy vey. Or, and then the biggest one is I had a picture of Charlie Brown and I made it like the obey shirt, but instead of obey, it said oy vey. Oh, okay. What is that? It was stupid. <laughs> but it, what, what is, is oy it? Vey? it like, oh, oy vey is Yiddish and it means like uh, good grief. It means I fucked up. It means, oh God. It means whatever, something like that. Like my grandmother. If she saw me like on drugs, she would say, oy vey, smear. You know, it's something that New York Jews say, oy vey. But you know, it's, um, like, it's like dopey. It would kind work. Of. It would work. No, it didn't work. You I tried it. This. You actually, you actually did it. Dude, I have a, cl- I have t-shirts and hats and the whole thing. Didn't work. And I sold it. Well, it, it worked enough. I'll tell you that. Because okay. the, the company that made the shirts never charged me to print them. And, and people in AA in New York City loved Oy Vey. Okay. So the people in my AA group bought the shirts until they were gone. I have a couple left. I never reprinted them because it wasn't really happening. But Chris said, Chris bought a shirt. Chris would work out in his Oy Vey shirt. And he would say, he would say, um, Dave, you know, I don't think this Oy Vey shirt is the thing. But I, but I know you got something good uh-huh. and I want to be a part of it. Like and... Um, and I had always dreamed of having a radio show like Howard Stern. You know, I had always wanted that. But, and I'd always heard about podcasts, but I had never heard a podcast. But I, I had heard that they were radio shows that you could do, you know? So I said to Chris, I said, and on, on Howard Stern, Artie Lang had the greatest drug stories in the history of radio. And they were so entertaining and everybody wanted to hear them. And, and, and they were awesome. And I knew that when I heard them as a drug addict, not only were they entertaining, but I knew who he was. You know, I, I felt like I was one of him. And, and, and yeah, it was, it was making like straight people laugh or people who partied laugh. But as an addict, I knew what he was talking about. And I knew that Chris had those stories. And I knew that I had those stories. And I knew that together we could put out a show of, of killer drug stories. And, and I knew that I would be able to facilitate something that was stern. Like, like I just, I just knew that, you know, like I had utter confidence in that. And when I said, Chris, let's do a podcast. 
And he said, he said, well, what will it be? And I said, well, it'll be us telling drug stories because everybody wants to hear drug stories. And you're, and, and Chris's drug stories were the greatest drug stories ever. You know, Artie Lang had amazing drug stories. But, but Chris's Chris were, Chris were fucking amazing. I amazing. still remember the shit, the veterinarian, you know, all the, I mean, just the, all the rehabs, right? The, the fucking. Dude, his, his stories were insane. And, and yeah. like the other thing about Chris, you know, like his stories were insane. But he was just this, and I didn't know, and, and he was just an amazing storyteller. Yeah, like, delivery he, was he, delivery is is everything, and he he delivered. But it's also because he was this writer, you know. In that period of his sober time, he wanted to be a writer, and he worked on sort of he worked on a book, and he would write articles for. He wrote an article for Salon. He wrote an article for Vanity Fair. He wrote he wrote a bunch of articles about recovery. So when he told a story, he would start in a place. He would go down the road and he would come back to the place. He was just masterful in his storytelling. And so he, he comes over and uh, I, had, I had a MacBook Pro and he said, well, what are we going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to turn on GarageBand and I'm going to hit record and then we're going to start talking. And he said, well, what am I going to say? I said, don't worry. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start us off and, and you're going to tell the first story and, and I'm probably going to interrupt you a lot. You know, in which I did. You know? I didn't want it to have a format like that. You know what I'm saying? Like I wanted it to be like like the Howard Stern show, where mm-hmm. there were stories, but there were interruptions. Right. There, we were creating uh, like you were among friends. Mm-hmm. You know, like and it wasn't just respect the story. It was this is what we do, and it took us a long time to get there because for the first six months. We got emails every week. Dave, you have to stop interrupting Chris. Dave, you're interrupting Chris too much. Dave, really? Oh yeah. Every every email we ever got was like, Dave, you got to stop interrupting Chris. And I knew that they didn't get it. And like Chris wouldn't interrupt me when I would tell my story, but he had to in order for Dopey to become what it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, and and Dopey didn't become what it was supposed to be until we ran out of stories. And, and when we ran out of stories, we had to just talk. And like once we were just talking and we had somebody else there, like that's where things really percolated. Or like the interruptions were the beginning of it because Chris saw what I was trying to do. He didn't get it at first and he was very like nervous. The first episode is so funny because like, like I have all this bravado and Chris is like, uh, he, was, he was like nervous. He sounded like a girl. He kept saying it over and over again. And like, it was just funny because it was like, it was like when you're a little kid and you like record something and you pretend you're making a show, you know, that's what Dopey was. It was like, we were just talking and I was pretending we were making a show, but in fact, it was actually a show, you know, and it turned into a show. And and then somehow, and, and again, like Chris was like, just, he acted like he didn't care about a bunch of stuff. But meanwhile, he was like researching how to get listeners for a podcast. He was researching, <laughs> like seriously, like he 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 was he was responsible for putting it online every week. He was responsible for editing it every week. He was responsible, like I would tell him what the music should be, and then we also made a commitment. Another thing, one thing I knew because I had been involved in television production forever uh, was you got to make the podcast simple enough to put out every week. And if we don't put it out every week, it will die. You know, because if we miss a week, we can miss two. 
And if we miss two, we can miss four. And if we miss four, it's done. So we made a commitment to never miss a week and we never did. And, um, and then the other thing was nothing should be edited because if anything is edited, the show is going to be too hard for us to make. And, and, and if the show is too hard for us to make, we're not going to make it. So we're just going to put it out there. The only thing that ever got edited and, and Chris fucked up the editing constantly <laughs> was if he said he would say my last name, he would say uh, where, where I work, he would say, or I would, he would like somebody else would say something, you know, like, and that's where the only editing happened. And then like uh, really just a fucking hysterical thing and a thing of dopey lore was I didn't tell, I had reunited with my daughter's mother, I think the second episode or the third episode, but I didn't tell her about the show because like, I didn't, I didn't want to tell her about the show. You know, I just figured like, I didn't want to, you know, by the 12th episode, maybe it was by the 18th episode, I sit down with my daughter's mother and I said, listen, I've been doing this podcast. She's like, what? And she listened to it and went and like Chris's stories were like, that's funny. My stories were like about our kid. My stories mm. were like about her father. My stories were like about her. And she was like, she was like, this show has to stop. Yeah. She was like, I don't know who the fuck you think you are. I basically yep. traumatized her life and now I'm making a show about it. Totally. You know what I mean? You know, and I was like, uh, blah, blah. So, ah. I, so I call up Chris and I said, you got to take the whole thing down. And he's like, what? And I said, you got to take the whole thing down. You know, the only thing I want is to have my family back. And I got them back. And now she's threatening to leave if we do this stupid podcast. So you got to take it down. It was really fun while it lasted. It's got to go. Okay. So, so he takes, so God bless Chris. You know, he got upset, but he, he, he knew, he knew what I was doing. And he was like, he took the whole thing down. And then something happened. Like, I don't know what it was. But my partner, and her name is Linda, and she's very beautiful and brilliant. And she said, um, she said, it really seems like you're helping people, though. It seems like people are getting something out of this. Because she saw an email or she saw a review or whatever. And she goes, I'll tell you what. She goes, why don't you just take down your episodes with your stories and you leave Chris's up? So we took down, in the beginning, we were alternating stories. So we took down episode two, four, six, eight, ten, and 12. And we kept up one, three, five, seven, nine, eleven, thirteen. And then after that, when I told the story, it wasn't about drugs. I would just tell a funny story, like the time I snuck into Madison Square Garden, or the time I got on the Howard Stern show, or whatever. Just like stories, until finally, like I got Linda to accept that the show was good, and she said, "You could tell us stories." But we never aired those shows and we called them the lost episodes mm. and every and everybody's like why aren't the lost where are the lost episodes I, now like, i know what we're talking now see this is another another beautiful segue into the question of what the fuck are these people talking about what are all these lost episodes now we know it's your stories about your family that have no business being on the air right but the truth is that after we hit episode 30 I basically just started retelling the stories in the episode because uh, because my beautiful partner my beautiful partner realized cool. that it was it was it wasn't I wasn't just using the story okay. I wasn't mm -hmm. using her I, I was right. I was we were doing something and she knew how much I loved it and she knew how much the fans loved it and it was she was very generous and and she knew the show had to exist like that 
in order to be the show. Love it. But um, we never put out, you know, and me and Chris would always like laugh about it, especially early on because it was so much content. You know, at episode 20, it was like half the content we had to take down. And we were like, fuck, what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do? We, we can't put these shows up, you know? And then Chris was like, maybe we could charge for them. And I was like, no. I was like, the lost episodes as something people can't hear, mm-hmm. it becomes like they're missing something. Taboo. You know, and the truth. Yeah, it's just this thing. But the truth was, they weren't that good. You know what I mean? We saw. <laughs> you know, the truth was, it was, it, was like, it was just like a legend. You know, it was way better as a legend than it was. You know, yeah, like the totally. Shot. You know, and 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 I and I'll tell you, like I, I'm sure you saw Chris's birthday was this month, and I came up with this idea to call it uh, call it the first dopey holiday and call it Christmas. You know, Chris dash miss because yep. we miss Chris. And for the first Jeez. ever Christmas, w- we released the first the first lost episode. You know, and th- the irony is that the lost episode isn't even Chris's story. It's my story. You know what I mean? And it's like you feel it. But you get to hear something that Chris said that you never heard before. And it was very like it was emotional for everybody. It was our highest listened to show. You know, uh, besides. I think it, it was like the best we ever did on the day of, but I think that the brutal episode about his relapse, about his death, was our, was the most listened to episode, you know. Um, so from there, we just, we, we got really down and dirty making the show. Um, we were committed to it, and then we became committed to getting an audience. And Chris started figuring out little tricks on how to get more of an audience. Like he would put like the topics in the title so you could search them. He would he would just do stuff like that. And I would start reaching out to people like you or like there was a comedian in my building. Like he was the worst guest ever, this guy. Um, and that was really funny because like he came to our apartment and he just ripped me up and he wasn't even an addict. He had no stories. And it was like, it was just ridiculous, you know? And like things like that, you know? And then like, and then like there was this guy who, um, one of my best friends, and I should have mentioned this earlier, but one of my other best friends who I got high with uh, more than I ever got high with anybody, I always wanted him to be on the show because he was just hysterical and his stories were just so far out there. And, and he would never want to come on the show or he was, he was using, so he wouldn't come on the show. But one time we're recording the show and he calls me up. So I just put him on the show without him knowing it. And his, he's just like, I can't believe it. The cops just picked me up because I was hanging out in this building. And I'm like, what, what were you doing in the building? You know, and it's my friend Todd. And, and Todd I had gone to college with. And then over the course of Dopey, Todd came, out eight or, came on the show eight or nine times. He was always struggling. And Todd died uh, seven weeks before Chris. He overdosed and died. And so like... Was he the one that was you know, doing he, the steroids? No, that was another guy who died. That was another guy that, that died, another, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. We, we lost uh, four people. We lost uh, this guy, Dave Marshall, who was just a, a guy that Chris knew in, in rehab. Who was, uh, And he was integral to Dopey, too. He set up the Dopey Facebook page in the first place. He believed in the show. He, he would come down. He actually was on the first show that got deleted, but Chris claims it got deleted by mistake. It was funny, too, because me and Chris got into this crazy fight on the show. Probably the only fight we ever got into and then Chris wound up deleting the show supposedly by mistake but we'll never know we'll never know the truth and then the show like started to get an audience and um and then we got like 
I don't remember. Oh yeah. You know, this guy from, remember the rap group house of pain? Yeah. Um, jump around uh-huh. like that guy would go to my restaurant. One of the guys in house of pain. And I was like, dude, we're recording, um, a podcast. Do you want to come over afterwards? And he didn't know what the podcast was about. And, uh, and I was friends with a friend of his and he was like, sure, I'll come. And, uh, so I leave work and me and him are walking from the restaurant to my house. And he goes, is what's the show about? And I said, it's about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And he goes, oh, I have 12 years clean. And I was like, what? The you know, I didn't even, know, I didn't wow. even know. Like, I didn't even know. I figured he was going to tell stories about getting high with Cypress Hill. But it turns out he's this huge pinnacle of recovery. And well, he became he's our still first alive, it's because he's fucking clean. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, like, I mean, how funny is that? Or how, like, HP baby. Ser- you know I mean? it was, totally it was serendipitous HP baby moment. Love it. And, and from there, we got, you know, we got Noah Levine from Refuge Recovery to come on. We got, uh, who are the first, the first dopey celebrities? It was Danny Boy. It was Noah Levine. Then I, Bob Forrest was eating at my restaurant. And he agrees Who's to Bob come Bob Forrest. On. I'm out of he's uh he did celebrity rehab. He's a big he's a big uh oh. rehab. Um he like was in a band called Thelonious Monster. He toured with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He was on Celebrity Rehab on VH1. Okay. He runs a ton of uh recovery places in California. And I and we me and Chris he actually treated Chris. He was one of Chris's counselors in rehab. Wow. And I see him at the restaurant. We got you to come on around then. You know, we were just like trying to grow the brand and like and Chris, you got God Dr. Bless. Drew on there too, right? It took a while before we got Dr. Drew, and we got Dr. Drew on like through my my usual bullshit, where like I would take pictures of like the the self help ratings, and like when we would beat somebody in self help, I would tweet a picture, be like, "Go fuck yourself, Guru Singh. Looks like you're gonna need to meditate to catch up with us." You know, like stuff like that. <laughs> You know, like just stupid stuff that I just because like I always wanted to have feuds, right? You know, because obviously it a works. recovery podcast that has feuds, it's like a joke. You know, you mm-hmm. can't really have a, a feud in, in a recovery podcast. Um, or I'd be like, you know, happy black woman, you're not going to be happy now that we've taken the lead against you in the self help category. You know, and then like we got past Dr. Drew, and I said, "What up, Dr. Drew?" You know, looks like you're not doing so great now that Dopey is laying it down on you or whatever. And then like, um, and then one of the Dopey Nation tweets, suck it, Drew. (laughs) And then I wrote, and then I wrote, we're sorry, Dr. Drew. We would love it if you came on the show. And, um, and Dr. Drew, as soon as I wrote that, he said, I would love to. And uh, he was coming to New York two weeks later and he invited me and Chris to his penthouse. And, uh, and we went up there, and Dr. Drew actually treated Chris years before, too. And, and you should have seen Chris on that day. He was like, he had his Brooks Brothers shirt on and his khakis, and his hair was all perfect. And, like, he was just like, he went in there like a fucking man on a mission. And he got to talk psychology and recovery and, you know, medicated-assisted treatment and everything that he knew about with, with his, like, one of his idols. And Drew loved Chris because Chris was such a fuck up when he had known him. And now here he was getting his doctorate, you know, living the life four and a half years clean with this show as a, you know, as an example, you know, and it was like, it was such a moment for us. 
and that became like our highest rated show. And, um, and we were so proud of it. And we were like, this is, this is so great. And all I ever wanted to do was get Artie Lang. You know, the second, I think the first week we had started the show, I said that Artie Lang was the white whale of Dopey and I was Captain Ahab and I wouldn't rest until we got Artie to come on the show. And it took, it took literally two years. I went to, um, I mean, the, the story is an epic story. Like I went to three comedy gigs. I went to his podcast four times. I got his number. He changed it. I got his next number. He changed it. You know, like it was just like fucking running in and out of the rain to get this motherfucker. And, uh, and, and I lost him. And then I lost him. He got fired from the podcast. His number got disconnected and he didn't respond to any tweets. And it wasn't until dopey super fan Scott Countryman yeah. laid into him that he Beast. turned up, you know? And then the sad part is, you know, by the time that happened, Chris was already showing signs of, uh, of not being sober anymore. And, um, and I have to say in my life that my life had changed a ton, you know, from when we had started doing the show, um, I had gotten back together with, uh, my daughter's mother and we had decided that in this, it was like in the, in the fall. And we decided that at the end of the, at the end of the school year that I was going to give up my apartment or at the end of the summer, I was going to give up my apartment. And I was going to move to Long Island, which I did. And I gave up my apartment and I moved to Long Island. So that was a huge moment. And, uh, and I moved in with my family again through Dopey and it was beautiful. And uh, we started recording at my father's house. So we recorded at Chris's parents' house in the Hamptons. And then, you know, my daughter's mother got pregnant again. And, um, and, and we bought a house. And I'm just, you know, trying to get, and Dopey is always, you know, top four priorities, you know, in there. There's, you know, the family, there's the house, there's, you know, the job, and there's Dopey. And that's always the way it's been. And, um, and for Chris, there's his relationship, there's school, and there's Dopey. And then there's his job. He was a manager at a sober house in Great Barrington. But somehow, he went on a vacation with his girlfriend uh, to Anguilla. And he said, you know, I don't know the truth. You know, I just know what he told me and I'm sifting through stories. He told me he had hurt. He had pulled a ligament or popped a ligament in the back of his leg and he was in a ton of pain. And the one thing about Chris, you know, he didn't go to meetings every day and his meeting attendance obviously totally bottomed out. But the thing that he would do was he would exercise every day. And and the exercise was like the thing he used thing. to, to you know, his discipline. I remember him and, talking about the yoga. Yeah, he would do, but the yoga even, even disappeared and it became just him on the elliptical or him lifting weights. And that would be like a meditation. That would be a, a discipline, you know? And, and like, he would say, if I sweat, I feel good. Mm -hmm. And then after the Anguilla trip, he had popped a ligament and he couldn't work out. And, um, and that's when the change became very obvious. And um, he was grumpy, you know, he was complaining about stuff. And Chris was the kind of person, you know, who didn't complain. You know, he would tell you a funny story, but he wouldn't complain about it. I would complain about everything. Chris was not like that. Um, and he would also like lose patience. He always had incredible patience. Or if he didn't have incredible patience, he would just be of good nature at every turn. After that injury and after he stopped working out, he he wasn't of the same good nature. When was and this? And it was like, 
This was around somewhere between, I want to say between May and June, you know, somewhere around there. And um, a year ago, I mean, I think he or this year. No, this year. Oh, wow. Somewhere between. So yeah. it was like this. Yeah, it was like somewhere between May and June. Wow. And, um, you know, he was showing other signs, but they weren't as definable and they were more reoccurring. And I would never be able to tell you that he wasn't using way longer because part of me thinks he was. Mm-hmm. Remember, like I knew Chris from rehab and I knew Chris from every six weeks we would talk. It wasn't until Dopey that we talked every day. And like, and still Chris was somebody as close as we were. And I knew that I was as close with him as anybody, if not closer, but he still had a way of kind of having boundaries and and keeping me at a little bit of a distance, even though I was still incredibly close with him, you know, because I don't think he was used to having, I mean, so many people so close to him. I think before, I mean, at Great Barrington, he made some friends who were like his brothers and they were like a tribe of people who were just so close. But besides them, I feel like his childhood friends, he wasn't as close with. I don't feel like he had some group in high school. But then again, he was totally on drugs. He was like 16 on the football team smoking crack before practice. And that's the kind of addict that Chris was, you know, for real. <laughs> Dude, smokes crack before you play football. Trying to fucking get a that's- heart attack. That's that's how he was, you know. And we would make jokes that he had SMI, which I think we made up made up was severe mental illness, you know. And that's what we would always say that he was SMI, you know. So like by the time the late spring rolled around, he I mean, I'll tell you this: we bought this house and we had the baby in May. He came to this house, this house I'm sitting in right now. We had no furniture here. He came in the middle of May. He was bursting with life and we recorded two episodes here and, um, and it was so positive and it was like, it was not like dopey. We were, cause I was so happy. I just had the baby. We had just had the house. I hadn't seen him in a month. It was just like pure joy, like pure vida. You know what I mean? It was like the real in fucking thing. May. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and we drove around and, and I just knew like, it was like as good as it, as it could be in that mm-hmm. moment. It was just, it was like, and like when I reflect on it, that could have been when he had started using, because when you start using, you are so full of joy, like that you can do this. You can, and I don't know that he was using, this is just a weird little suspicion mm-hmm. that, that I feel like yeah. he had everything he wanted. He had his doctorate, uh, in the works. He had just finished the master's program. He had his beautiful girlfriend who loves him. He had a great place to live. He, our podcast was doing well. He, he looked good. People respected him. And I think, you know, the promises that you hear in 12 step yep. things, I think, I think he felt like he found a new promise where he could have all the promises and get high at the same time. You know what I'm saying? And I think he was like, Holy shit. I can't believe it. You know what I mean? And he didn't want to let that go. So I feel like, because the next week after we did it, you could hear a little, a little, a little falling off. And then my friend Todd died. You know, my friend Todd died, I think the second week in June. And I was distraught. You know, I was just like, it's torn apart. I had been friends with this guy for 25 years. He was like my brother. And, and I used with him across the country and back. We lived together all over the place. 
you know, we discovered heroin together. We discovered a lot of drugs together. And uh, I just felt so guilty that I, that I was clean and I had this good life and he was dead. And, um, and I was just an emotional wreck. And Chris just kind of seemed almost blasé about it. He was almost like surprised that I felt so much. And that's, and I was like, this is a weird reaction, you know? And then we did an episode about it and Chris actually handled himself like really well. Like he ran the episode, which he never does. He asked me questions like, and I was like, he did a good job, but there was still something emotionally amiss, you know? And then, and then we like did three Skype episodes, which we never did, you know, like usually we do one. And then we get back together or we do two and we get back together. But he, he wouldn't come and Artie had agreed to do the show. So I was like, he was like, I can't go, you know? And I, and I was out of my mind at this time. I was just like, dude, I don't care. Yeah. What I, the said, fuck? I said, I said, if you can't come, don't come. I said, I'll do it myself. You know, I said, I said, let's, I mean, already had also like another time he had offered to come in because he couldn't make it to the time. He said, can you just hang out for a few more hours and I'll take you to dinner. And Chris was like, I got to go. And I understood that Chris would commute five hours to do dopey. I didn't mention that he lived in Boston and I lived in, in New York and he, I never went to Boston because I had the family and I had the job. Chris I wouldn't drive. I wouldn't drive fucking five hours. So God bless you, Chris. Yeah, no way I'm driving five. Okay, I didn't know about the commute. You might want to throw that in there. Well, I've, I, I'm sorry. I'm throwing it in now. Okay. Chris, for three years, Dude, at least that's once a, commitment. a month. Yeah, that's a commitment. Five hours, bro. So that's why when I would get on his back for something, mm-hmm. I didn't have much much room to stand. Yeah. You know, he was committed to doing it. The show would not have existed if he hadn't sacrificed mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. You know? So, like... And I was in awe of that. So like when he wouldn't reach out, when he wouldn't write uh, a newspaper or a magazine or a blog about our thing, I said, you know what, Chris, all you have to worry about is driving here and putting up the show and I'll do everything else. So, and I always would tell him what an amazing partner he was because I never had a partner like that who like really carried half of the load. And like, and, and he was, he was as obsessed with dopey as I was. And he was, I mean, like, Dude, you could. He was obsessed with reviews. He always. I remember. Reviews. And and he would keep track of every podcast reviews, and he would and like and then I came up with the thing that we just want more reviews than Omar. Like that was something I kept Dude. saying on the show, you know. And then and then I would be like, so he'd be then he'd set his sights on the next podcast he'd want to overtake with reviews, and he would and like. He was just, he knew, like, if you said that sober guy, he would tell you how many reviews. If you said church and other drugs, he would tell you. If you said home, whatever, he just, and that, and he would act like he wasn't competitive, but he was really competitive. And like, and I love that. We were both like obsessed with this thing and, and it made for this great partnership. But so the RD Lang date pops up and I said, you know, Chris, if you can't come, you can't come. We'll Skype an intro. We'll Skype an outro. And I'll go do the interview. You know, he didn't know anything about Artie anyway. I said, you don't want to go? You don't want to go. And um, he said, and then at the last second, he said, I'm going to go. And I said, good. You know, and um, he says, but I'm not going to drive. I'm going to take the bus. And he shows up and he looked like shit. His skin was all gray. His fucking, his hair was a mess. And, you know, 
I think around the same time, a friend of his had, had texted me, do you think Chris is acting weird? <clears throat> and I thought he was acting distant. You know, he wasn't responding as quickly. He wasn't as engaged. You know, but he still would respond fairly quickly. We still talked every day. He was still fairly interested. And you have to understand, he had finals for his master's program. He was commuting not only to me, but to his job in Great Barrington. He had an internship and a job and school and a girlfriend and dopey. You know, like when he would put me in check for a few hours, I was like, that makes sense. You know what I mean? He's not acting like his old self, but I believe it. And then when I talked to him, he said, man, I'm so stressed out. You know, he was smart. He was a manipulative bastard. <clears throat> and he would say what he knew you would buy. He would sell you the right line. He had been a, he had been a, a fucking Zen master of manipulation since he was fucking 13 years old. It was not hard. And because he had a year and a half on me, I believed him. You know, I took his word as fact. And when the Artie Lang show showed up, he came to my, he met me at the train station and he looked like garbage. And I was like, dude, you don't look that good. And he was like, what the fuck, man? I just came back from Great Barrington. No, he, it was the 4th of July. He had gone to the Hamptons. He had spent the weekend with his family. He had brought his girlfriend's family. He had commuted back to Boston. And the next day he came to do the Artie Lang. So even if he wasn't using, like you're allowed to look like shit for that, right? It's too much. <clears throat> it's too much, Dave. He had too, too much. much going on. And he couldn't say no to anybody. He just like, he didn't want to let anybody down. He wanted to be everything to everybody. And, um, you know, his boundaries were all fucked up. And, um, and then I think, I think he had been using for a while. And I think that the substances were catching up with him. And, uh, and when he came to see me, he looked like shit. And he was disconnected. You know, and then we get to Hoboken to go to Artie's house. And I brought him a sandwich. And we're sitting on the water on the Hudson River. And I'm so excited. Because I love Artie Lang, you know, and I, and we had built up to this moment. This was like a huge moment for us. He looked like shit. He was kind of miserable. And then he starts making fun of me, you know, which is fine. But he did it in this way that was just like kind of mean spirited and not accurate. Mm -hmm. He was like, he was like, you're not cool. He's like, you're so excited. And I was just like, yeah, I'm excited. I was like, I'm excited and I'm cool. I was like, dude, I don't think you realize what's happening here. We pulled this thing off. You know, like I always like loved Ferris Bueller and I felt very Bueller-esque in that moment. <laughs> and I felt, I felt very full of myself. You know, <laughs> I just felt like that. And, um, and Chris was like almost judging me for it. You know, and then we got on the phone, like my, my wife, my fiance, whatever, she called me up and she goes, are you excited? And I was like, yeah. And then she, and then I put her on speakerphone and Chris tried to make fun of me to her and she loves to make fun of me, but she even felt there was some weird mean spirited disconnect, you know? And then we go up to his apartment and we did the episode and Chris did not seem like himself. He just did a couple things in the episode that weren't just weren't like him. Mm -hmm. Wasn't a big deal. Like he said, yeah, to everything that already said, like it just, it wasn't him. You know, he just said, yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, like 50 times in a row maybe even 70 times in a row, but the episode was still great. And we left there and like, I was like feeling like, you know, it was very weird because like, it was not what I wanted it to be. You know, I expected it to be one thing and it was something else. 
but I still felt like we got the goods from Artie and it was like this amazing moment. And we're, and, and we, he lives right on the water. It was very beautiful. It was, you know, in early June, it wasn't hot. The, the, the sun was going down. It's hitting the Hudson river. It's hitting Manhattan. Manhattan is just lit up from that sun going down and we're standing there. And, and I grew up in Manhattan. I, I see where I grew up and I'm just like, this is a really magical moment, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and Chris was gone. Chris was like, yeah, you know, uh, and like he, I could see him trying to, to emotionally get on the same page as me, but he was just not feeling it, you know? And I was like, I was like, this is, this is not good, you know? And I, and I, and it was the bummer. I was like, this is sad. And then we took a ferry across the river. And again, I was like, what a magical, you know, I was really feeling it, you know, and I took pictures of me and him and you could look at the pictures and he just looks like shit. And, um, and then we get across the river and I said, do you want to get some food or something before you go back? And he's like, no, I got to go. And he always wanted to eat before mm-hmm. he would go. He would always want to like stretch it out. And I was like, all right. And in my head, all I could think, I wasn't thinking Chris is using, you know, that's not what I was thinking. I was thinking I'm probably going to have to do dopey by myself one day, but it was the same thought. You know what I mean? I thought Chris is. Wow. Wow. How true that was going to be in such a tragic way. Yeah. And, um, and we put the episode up and it was the best up. Ep- it was the, the highest, you know, the most downloads ever. And the dopey nation, it was like this moment that the, the dopey nation, the dopey nation rejoiced, you know, and it was a rejoicing on the internet and it was a rejoicing in emails and it was a rejoicing on Instagram and it was a rejoicing on Twitter. And it was like, we won the war. You know what I mean? It was this amazing moment. And, um, and I was just feeling so good and I was watching the numbers and I was calling Chris and he wasn't answering the phone. And I was like, it was such a bummer. You know what I mean? Like, because this is all that I had wanted and Chris was not feeling it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, wow. I was like, this, this might be over, you know? And, um, and then we recorded two more episodes on Skype and the first episode I think was, uh, no, we recorded one episode and it was was still really good. It was like one of my favorite episodes ever. And then we recorded an episode about the Artie Lang show, which was also decent, but, but there were just little telltales of just, he was not himself, you know, and I started to feel like I had to carry the Mm -hmm, show in mm -hmm. a way that I never felt like I did Mm -hmm. before. Um, and he wasn't really listening in the same way. But like the secret to Dopey from the beginning was that Chris had the firepower and that I could make him laugh. And if I could make Chris laugh, the show was funny because Chris was laughing. And like he still laughed, but I could tell he wasn't really paying attention in the same way. And I was like, I was like coming up with like, I was really proud of myself because I was coming up with some fucking really weird, funny stories. It's like, this weird thing that happened at bed, bath and beyond that. It was like, to me, it was like this perfect story, but like, and then, you know, I got annoyed at him and I was like, dude, what the fuck? I was like, what, what's going on? You know, I was like, you know, if you're using, you can tell me. And, uh, and I said, and we can deal with this and you can, and you can start over. You know, I left out a piece of the story that when his, when his friend had, had hit me up, you know, when his friend said, I think Chris is acting strange, I reached out to him and I said, and he didn't write right back. And Chris was the kind of person that if you texted Chris while he was sleeping, he would text back, I'm sleeping. 
you know, if he's like fucking having sex, he would text back right afterwards. I just came. You know what I mean? Like he's that person, <laughs> you know, and like uh, and, and like for, you get the picture. I get the picture. I got it. So he wouldn't he didn't text me back for hours. And I'm like and my friend Todd had just died. And I'm like, holy shit, Chris is dead. That's all I can think. And that's a, an irrational thought. But in, in the end, it was very much foreshadowing. I thought Chris is dead. And I just start blowing up his phone. And then he doesn't respond. And I, t- and, I, and I hit up his girlfriend on Instagram. And I said, please call me when you see this. And then Chris responded. He's like, what the fuck? Blah, 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 blah. And he kind of got angry at me. And I knew there that was another telltale. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it. I said, I said, why would you get angry at me? I said, you're a drug addict. And I'm, and I'm worried about you. If you're not you, and I didn't even catch myself what I was saying, but I said, if you're not using, why do you care if I'm, if I'm worried about you? You should be happy. You know, if you're not using, why should anybody care if you're concerned? But like that was a telltale that I missed. And, and then his girlfriend had said, you know, his girlfriend, I think, knew he was acting weird. But then by the time she wrote me back, I had talked to Chris on the phone and I believed what he had said. And then after that work that day, we had a, like a heart to heart for an hour. And he like just starts playing me, you know, like the violin. He's like, I feel this and I feel this. And it's not that I'm using. I just feel pressure and my parents. And, and I'm, I'm like, I'm like, and I believed him. You know, I just gave him the benefit of the doubt. And then you fast forward again to after Artie and after a bunch of Skype episodes. And I called him again. And I still didn't think he was using. I still thought he was exhausted. I still thought he was distracted. I still thought he was busy. And I said, um, I said, you know, if you're using, I didn't think he was using, but I just said this. I just said, if you're using, you know, you can tell me and, and like, we can work it out. And he said, like, just the, the most fucked up thing, like the most fucked up thing I could imagine him saying in that moment. And he said, you know, I'm basically pouring my heart out to him saying like, if you're in trouble, I'll be there. And he says to me, you as well. Okay. Now you yeah. as well yeah. was fuck you. Yeah. Leave me alone. Yeah. yeah. And I said to him, I said, Chris, if I'm using, I'm going to tell you I'm using because that's how I am. I'm going to tell you I'm using and I'm not going to stop and I don't want to stop and, and everybody can say whatever they want, but I'm using because that's just how I am, you know, for better or for worse. I don't fucking, you know, and I, I don't, I don't lie and I don't hide stuff because I'm not good at it. And because I can't, I can't do it. You know, it's just like, you know, there are things you can do. I just, I'm not like a better person or anything. It's just, I'm a big mouth. I need to say everything, you know? <laughs> And Chris, Chris kept it cool, you know, and he didn't want to, and he didn't want to give up, you know, using, and he didn't want to admit that he couldn't handle it. And I think the biggest high for Chris was getting away with it, you know, was getting high, getting away with it, keeping everybody at arm's length. Mm -hmm. And he loved that shit as much as he loved getting high. That was the high, you know, you know, on top of the high and that was, that was it. And, um, you know, we, we moved on and then we had done, then he got a job as a sober companion, you know, ironically. <laughs> and he traveled with some kid to Texas, I think, for a week. Or maybe he did it in, in Massachusetts. He was a sober companion for a week and we barely talked, you know, for that week. 
And then I remember, because like me and Chris were just like very much like very playful, very close. And, and then like on the sixth day of the Sober Companion, we were, I was trying to figure out when we were going to do the next episode. And I was like, how's it going? And he was like, it's good. And I was like, do you miss me? You know, and he was like, no. And I was like, yes, you do. I was like, you totally miss me. And he was like, no, I don't. And I was like, I was like, and I was weird. I was like, because usually he would say you did miss me. And I and it was like, I was like, yes, you do. And I was like, I was like, well, just tell me you miss me then. And he was like, fine, I miss you. And uh, but like he was out of it, you know, he was not in 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 his head. And um, and I said, well, what are we gonna do about the show? And he said, well. I think I can record it on Thursday, but if not, I'll record it on Friday. And he blew me off Thursday. And I said, okay, but if we record it on Friday, we got to record it on the early side because I go to bed early. And he said, okay, we can do it at nine. Nine o'clock goes by. He says, I can't do it. We got to do it at 10. 10 o'clock goes by. At 11, he says he's fighting with his girlfriend. And, I, and then at 12, he's like, I'm like, dude, uh, I'm like, it's too late. I can't do it. And, that, and then we always released on Saturday. So we didn't have the episode. So we posted, the episode is going to be delayed. And on Saturday night, we, we did the same thing. Nine o'clock passes, 10 o'clock passes, 11 o'clock passes. I said, dude, we're recording now. We have to put, I mean, when we started doing the show, we put them out on Sunday. I said, if we put it out on Sunday, it's no big deal. But we're not missing the fucking week. I'm not doing that. You know, and um, we recorded this episode at midnight okay and he's fucking out of it you know and he claimed he is in this fight and like and i was you know i go to bed at nine o'clock usually i was so tired and the episode was such a piece of shit you know it was just such a shitty episode and my dad listened to the episode my dad listens to every episode and my dad listened to the episode and he was just like there's something wrong with chris you know and i and he had said that the episode before too and I said, no, I think he's just losing interest. And this time he said, he said, Chris sounds terrible. I said, yeah, he's exhausted. He just flew back from Texas. He's fighting with his girlfriend. I believed everything he said. And I um, wanted to believe everything he said. Yeah. I, I, I mean, maybe deep down I knew, but I didn't know. You know, it, it did not occur to me, even though it was so obvious. It did not occur to me. And then people, people just start writing in, you know, I'm concerned about Chris. Chris yep. doesn't sound right. And I had talked about it on the show. You know, I read at the end of that episode, that was the last episode we recorded. And at the end of that episode, we had done like an hour and 10 minutes. And usually our show was like an hour and 10 minutes. And I said, Chris, let's do some reviews, you know, because we'd always get a kick out of reading reviews. And I always would get a kick out of reading the really bad reviews, like the one star reviews, you know, and I, and I, like I loved reading. Them you, uh, of course you would read those. Oh, fuck. I love it. No, but he, it was like, we got, we have like seven of them or eight of them. And it's like, they're just so funny, you know, especially when we read them to each other, because it's like, it's just funny, you know? And, and like, and Chris was so out of it. He didn't remember that it was an old review. I think I read it twice and he's not remembering. And he's like, Dave, can't we just stop? And I'm like begging him to stay in the show because I didn't want it to stop, you know? And that was the last show we did together. It was like, I listened to it and it's like, it's just heartbreaking. You know, and then after that, um, on Monday, the show came out on Sunday and like Chris even fucked it up. He said my last name in the show. He said he was going to delete it. He didn't delete it. Then I had to try to fix it. I fucked it up. 
the next morning he got super mad at me that I didn't edit the show right. And we got in this huge fight, you know, and it's Monday and we're fighting. And I'm like, dude, you got to come back to New York or we got to record early in the day. You know, I, I knew that that drive was, was, I couldn't make him do it, but I said, if we're going to Skype, let's Skype at four in the afternoon. Let's Skype at nine in the morning. Let's find a time when we're awake. Cause I didn't know that he was fucking nodding out from heroin. You know, I figured he was tired. It was midnight. I was tired. And he goes, well, why don't you come to Boston? He said, you know, and, and, and it had been established very early on that I was never going to go to Boston. He knew that. He knew that. I have a job. I have the family. family. I have an infant. Mm-hmm. I have an infant at home. Yeah. If I, 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 work, I work every other weekend. So if the weekend that I'm not working, I'm in Boston, I don't see my family for two weekends in a row. It's like, I couldn't do it. You know what I mean? It just, it wasn't in our DNA as a show. It couldn't happen. I could do everything else, but I couldn't go to Boston. And then that was accepted. But he wrote back, lots of families travel to Boston like a dick. You know, that's what he would always, he would do stuff like that. And I was like, I was like, what? I was like, I said, listen, I said, I, I can't fight with you about this. You know that I can't go to Boston. Um, I said, let's just try to Skype at an earlier time. And he was like, I could tell he was upset that we were fighting. And he was like, he said, he said, oh, he said, I can't, we're, we're planning on doing it the next week. And he says, he says, it looks like I can't go because I have to take my girlfriend to a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> and I, and that's, when, that's when my, my brains exploded out of my head. And I said, I'm done. I, I, I said, I said, that's reasonable. You're going to go to a Taylor Swift concert instead of record Dopey. You know, and um, I said, and he said, and then he wrote me like sheepishly, I guess that doesn't sound reasonable, you know, and then I didn't talk to him and it's like nine o'clock at night and I'm putting my eight year old to bed and he starts texting me and he texts me and I hope I'm not going on too long. I just figured no, I'm giving no, you every no, fucking, no, 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 give me, give me, every give me everything. Yeah. And he says to me, um, man, everybody's angry at me because of this. You know, because he had told his girlfriend he wasn't going to go to Taylor Swift and he was going to come into Dopey. Everybody's angry at me. Why can't you do this? You know, and I said, listen, I said, and I, and I, and I love Chris. You know what I mean? I just fucking loved Chris and I felt what he was going through. And I said, Chris, don't worry about it. We can Skype this week. You can go to Taylor Swift. We just have to Skype at an earlier time. We're going to get through this, you know, because in my heart of hearts, not only did I love Chris, I love Dopey. And I was at a point with it where I had to keep him happy to keep the show going because we were one fight away from being like, fuck it. You know, and if we said, fuck it, I couldn't just do it all myself. It was his show too. It was his show. He was responsible for airing it. He was responsible for, for half of it, if not more. You know, if I said, fuck it, it wasn't going to keep going. It was going to be done. Or if I'd gotten into some fight. So I put my daughter to bed. And I come downstairs and I'm just sitting here and he starts texting me that he's in this fight with his girlfriend. And I said, well, call me if you want, if you want to call me. And he calls me and we have this, you know, he's in this crazy fight with his girlfriend. But what had really happened was the day before um, they had drug tested him because the girlfriend had told the sister that Chris was acting weird. Mm-hmm. Then the sister had a heart to heart with Chris and, uh, and Chris totally snowed the sister. 
Mm-hmm. And, and and the sister Arden was just like you know Arden. Um, of course, I know Arden. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Arden believed everything that Chris said, just like I did. You know, and and Chris snowed Arden, and Chris snowed the family, and then Arden sent somebody over to the drug test Chris, and Chris and the the guy says to Chris, "This is going to come back clean, right?" And Chris says, "Yes." So then it's that night, and Chris is like screaming at me about this fight he's in with his girlfriend. And um, he just, he's just saying crazy shit that like, and I'm thinking maybe he's like, again, I'm a fucking idiot. I'm just thinking he's in this serious relationship. He just finished his finals. They're talking about marriage. They're living together. I just thought he was feeling that kind of pressure you feel in a sort of very serious beginning of a very serious relationship where you're like, do I really want to do this? You know, what am I really doing? And I thought that's what his, you know, his angst was about. <sighs> so then I said, I just start trying to support him. And I just said, you know, don't, I said, and he's fighting with her. And I said, apologize and approach it, or, you know, clear headed tomorrow. And he said that she's crazy, blah, blah, blah. And then he called me, you know, we're just texting all that stuff. And I said, and we just start talking about the show. And I said, and it was, it was totally God's will. It was totally a higher power moment. And I said, um, I said, don't worry about the show. I said, it's really sad to me because we never even, th- this month was, you know, after the Dr. Drew show, we had hit a pinnacle. And the four months after the Dr. Drew, or the three months after the Dr. Drew show, we never beat the Dr. Drew month. We, we were always just behind it. So we had three months where we weren't beating the month before. And, um, and Chris always, I would say, oh, we're in big trouble. We're not beating the month before. We're in big trouble. And Chris would always say, if we have more than three months in a row where we don't beat the month before, we're going to have a problem. But three months is okay. And the fourth month, we got Artie. And we destroyed the Dr. Drew month. And I said, Chris, we never even rejoiced that this month we're going to do it. You know, we pulled this thing off our show. I said, I said, I said to him, I love you so much. We have such a magical show. You know, people love it. We love it. And he, and he gets so emotional. He was just like, he was was like half crying, but I couldn't hear he was crying. You know, I just heard this emotion. And he said, even if the numbers only got bad, I would still come to do the show because I love to do it so much. And I said, I know. I said, but the numbers are only going to get better, you know, because I was, I'm like all about it, you know, and um, got off the phone and he texted, it's getting worse at home. He said, can you call me at one o'clock in the morning? And he never, you know, I I go to bed early. Yeah. I I said, but I could tell his girlfriend had left, you know, and and he was like, I'm going to leave. I don't, his, her mother's coming. I don't want to see the mother, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay. You know, I didn't really, I didn't get it. You know, I was like, I'll call it one. And at one, I called, he didn't answer the phone and I go to sleep. And, um, um, I wake up at six 30 and I text him. Uh, I didn't hear from you at one. Uh, are you okay? At six 31, he texts me. I'm good. Basically, I'm good. I'm alive. I'll talk to you in a few hours. Or he said, he said, basically, I'm good. I'm sleeping, as you like to say, because, you know, he would text back when he was sleeping. Um, I'll call. I'm alive. I'll call you in a few hours. Then his girlfriend texted me and said, would you check on Chris? And I texted back. I just did. He's okay. I'm going to talk to him later. 
She said, cool. I thought she was crazy. You know, um, I'm, I'm off. It's Tuesday. I'm off every Tuesday and I'm off. And, uh, and my wife slash fiance is like, Dave, let's, let's go for a walk with the baby. You know, we put the baby in the stroller and we walk outside and the phone rings and it's, and I didn't recognize the number, you know? So, and it's, you know, I answer the phone and it's Chris's girlfriend. And I said, Hey, and he goes, she goes, Hey, it's Annie. And I said, how are you doing? And she said, um, I just found Chris's body. And I said, um, I said, don't say that. I said, that's not funny. You know, I thought she was crazy because Chris had painted this picture. Like she was vindictive and crazy. And I thought she was fucking with me. Right. And, uh, and I said, and she said, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I found his body. And, 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 and Linda, my girlfriend, my wife, whatever says to me, we never got married, but we might as well be. She says to me, who died? And I wave her off. And I said, nobody died. I said, she's crazy. I said to Linda and I said, Annie, what are you talking about? And she said, I just came home and I found his body. And I said, I still didn't believe it. You know, I didn't believe it at all. You know? And I said, was there a needle? And she said, no, there was a spoon. And I said, well, what did you do? And she said, I called the police and then I called Arden and then I called you. And I said, I said, okay. And she starts crying, you know, she starts crying. I said, um, I still don't, I think she's crazy. You know, I'm on the phone with her total denial. You know, she's told me she's found my friend dead. Obviously he's dead. He had been fucking out of his mind for months. And I, I still think she's crazy. You know, this is the power of denial we're talking about. Uh, powerful. You know? And um, she said, I had so much planned with him. You know, I planned my whole life with him. I was going to have his children. And I think I'm talking to a crazy person. And I said, well, you got to look at the bright side of this. That's what I said. You know, Fucker. meaning I said... No, no, no. I, I, I like, I didn't know what to say. I said, you got to look at the bright side of this. You know, like if he was going to do this, it's better that he did this quickly, you know, cause I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm divorced from reality, you know, and she, goes, I gotta go. she says, I got to go. Yeah. And I said, okay. <laughs> and then I'm like, and then Linda's like, what did you just say to her? I said, he's not dead. So I don't think he's dead. I said, I said, let's wait to hear from Arden. And hours go by. And I text Arden, is it true? I don't hear back. And hours go by. We walk to town. And I'm thinking, well, what if he is dead? You know, and I text Annie back. And I apologize. And I said, I'm sorry I said that. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't believe it. And then Arden texts me back. It's true. You know, and then like the bottom drops out. And, um, and I still don't believe it. But I felt. Like, oh, my God, I couldn't believe what Annie had been through. Because Chris, like, he's just big. You know, I'm like six foot one. He's probably six foot two. He's broad. He's super handsome and super warm and squishy and big. You know what I mean? Like, just to imagine him dead, you know, cold and, and her to find him. Like, it was just like I was sick, you know. And um, and then I talked to Arden and the two of us were basically like angry you know, talking about like a, a story, like as though he was alive. And, um, and I was out of my mind, you know what I mean? And I was, I was very hurt and I start, and I, and I started talking to his friends in great Barrington and I just, you know, and, and that's, that was the end of it, you know, basically. 
And um, I didn't know what I was going to do about the show. I didn't really care. I just, I, I was just, you know, gobsmacked at the idea that I wasn't going to speak to my friend anymore. You know, who I talk to every day, my partner on this thing. And like, you know, you can look at your podcast. Like, I'm sure you look at your podcast, like it's the greatest thing since life's bread. And, and, and I looked at our podcast, like it was the greatest thing ever. Like, and it was the culmination of, uh, I wanted to be a talk show host since I was fucking 13 years old. And now because of Chris, I got to be one, you know, and, 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 and I wasn't devastated at the loss of the show. I, I just, he was my partner and, um, and my friend, you know, and in a lot of ways, he was like my little brother, you know, he was like my little brother who helped me get clean, you know, and, and like, we were there for each other. And, and I felt so sick that I couldn't have been there for him when he was relapsing, that I didn't see it, that I believed him. You know, I just felt very sad about, about all of it. And, um, and I still haven't really made sense of any of it. You know, but I'll tell you this. I didn't cry. And as fucked up as this is, I didn't cry until I posted it to Facebook. And I posted like a short thing. And the second... I hit post or whatever that button says. I just broke down crying because I was sharing this news with the people that made us dopey. You know what I mean? Like there was just something and it's like, it's just crazy. <clears throat> and then, and that's when the outpouring began and nobody could believe it was true. And, you know, and that's where that was it. Yeah. Dude, dude, Dave, um, First of all, thank you. Uh, I was hoping to get this. Uh, wasn't quite sure if, if you were going to be able to get all this out there. But you did, man. You perfectly, perfectly. And I, and I hope, I really hope that this episode is able to, to touch everyone. Dopey Nation, Share Podcast, because I know the question is there for many. The question is there, what happened? How did it go down? How could this happen? It doesn't make any sense, right? And so there's a lot of that in a lot of people's minds. After hearing everything that you said, it really humanizes Chris. None of us are 100% safe from this disease. None of us are. And no matter what you do, no matter the podcast that we launched, the recovery community that we get into, the master's degree that he got, working in the treatment industry, sister owning a treatment center. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on of if, if you needed to check some boxes as to who's doing the right things to, to change their lives in the most positive way and stay sober, Chris is doing it. But the most important thing he's not doing is he's not sharing. He's not being honest. It's getting to him. He's crushed. As you were talking, I could feel how overwhelmed he was. I could feel how irritable, restless, and discontent he was. His inability to say no to people. His inability to set boundaries again. And then next thing you know, I know how to make it all stop. I know how to make it all stop. I know how to make the noise stop. I know how to make the pain stop. I know how to make the overwhelm stop. And you know what? 
I've and not for nothing. Not for nothing. And I don't know if you've been here, but I've been there. I've been there where I'm so overwhelmed in recovery in my life that I go, there's one way to just Nagasaki everything, put the fucking brakes on everything right now. I could put the brakes on this right now. I could go out. I don't have to, I don't have to worry about my sponsees calling me every five minutes. I don't have to worry about my commitments. I don't have to worry about this responsibility. I don't have to worry about, I can start all over again. I can start all over again and I can be the newcomer again. And those, those thoughts have actually gone into my head where it's like, really? I can't, I can't fucking take much more of this. The stress overwhelmed the pressure. It's too much. And I mean, thank God I do this. Like I'm a talker. Like you said, if I was using, I would call you because that's what I do, you know, and I would go to meetings in my darkest hour and anyone in my, anyone in my community will tell you, I oh would go in with angry share. They would say, oh, would go in with angry share and just be like, this is fucking bullshit. And I didn't fucking get clean for this shit. And this fucking, and I would just drop it like it's hot. And then I'd leave the meeting and I'd be like, oh, okay, feel a little bit better, right? And I, as, as again, as you were telling the story, I can't help but just, I'm listening and just going, I see it. I see it. I see it. Here's where it's starting to unravel. And we, we feel as though I can have it all, but I can't. I have to be mindful that I'm, I'm only one person. There's only so many hours in the day. There's only so many things that I can do and handle at one moment. You know this. I can't drive to Boston. I've got the job. I've got the baby. I've got my wife. I've got responsibilities. This is as far as I can go. And if I push myself, I'm looking at a world of hurt. Yes. I think that you take all the stuff you're saying and then you add this freak injury. And this injury was the straw that breaks the camel's back. And we don't know if that's I mean, like when I told Dr. Drew this story, he said that people who are in a relapse, every one of them gets that injury. The injury. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Oh, the injury. Exactly. So it's like he had a perfect storm of pressure and and like, you know, he couldn't handle it. And, and he, I mean, listen, for whatever reason, and, and, and thank God. I never get the feeling of blowing everything up. Like, and I'm not saying I'm better or anything. I just think I've gone as far as I could ever go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't feel like, like the idea of getting high to me is like death. Like if I get high, my children don't eat. If I get high, I don't get to see them. If I get high, I lose what I've gotten back. I lost my family and recovery got them back. And if I get high, I don't want to ever feel what I felt before again, you know, and, and like, thank God, like, I don't feel tempted, you know, I feel very much resolved to live this life. And I also feel very honored to have potential, you know, I feel like I lived 41 years high, basically, give or take, I lived 41 (laughs) years high and fucked up or 40, 
40, 40, 41 years high, fucked up, a mess, irresponsible, unreliable. And now if I'm lucky, I'll make it to 80. So that's half of a life that maybe the outcome is not going to be marred by drugs. You know, the first half was all drugs. You know, it was wall to wall drugs because I couldn't take what was in my brain or my heart and my neuroses. And now I'm like, fuck that shit. I see what being on drugs can earn me. Let's see what being off drugs can earn me. You know, and I have to say, you know, besides the fact that Todd and Chris died this summer, you know, I want this summer to end now. I've had it with this fucking summer. Um, my life is, is, is by far the best it's ever been. You know, like I have choices. I have a garden. You know, forget, forget fucking material things, which I have more of now than I ever had. Things are coming to me that bring me joy and, and I can be of service to my father, to my in-laws, to my daughter, to my baby, to my wife, uh, to work. I can be counted on. And, like, and when I used to hear people say shit like that, I'd be like, I want to throw up. I'd be like, who are you kidding? You just want to get high. But I actually feel those things now. And I wish I could give them to anybody who's struggling. You know what I mean? Because it's a fucking honor. You know, I, I did all the, de- the horrible stuff. I had abscesses. I fucking overdosed. I fucking went to a million detoxes across the country and back. I was on methadone for six years. I, w- I lost a career. You know, I came, uh, you know, and, and now it's over. That, that stuff is over and I have potential again. And like, I would never trade it in. You know, I just, hopefully I'll never have a, a moment where I think about trading it in. But I'm, I have such resolve about my life. It's so good. I'm so happy. You know, bad things are going to happen. My father will die. You know, uh, tragedy happens. You know, I'm, I love my dad. He's not going to die soon. Shouldn't have said that. I'm just saying <laughs> bad shit happens, you know, bad shit happens. And I, and I, I, I just, I don't think that there's anything that I could see myself using over. And when Chris died, everybody was so worried that I was going to use. It's like, dude, the only thing you don't have to worry about is me using because Chris died. I, I, it's like that is not on the plate. It's not on the table. It's nowhere near my brain. It's like, it's like fucking imagining me setting myself on fire. You know, I, what I would say in the beginning was it's more likely that I will breathe underwater or be on the first manned spaceship to Mars than I'm going to go fucking cop at this point. It's like, are you kidding me? You know, it's like, I, I can't even imagine like how someone could go through what I went through and, and have Chris die. And you're looking at your fucking infant and your eight year old and you're like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm leaving to go get high. It's like, no fucking, it's not where I'm at. Thank God. Thank God. You know, and then that's important for me to say, you know, cause people are worried about me and I appreciate their concern. You know, I'm worried about how to make the show good. I'm worried about my family eating. I'm worried about getting good tips when I work. I'm worried about, you know, like our, our, my family getting along. I'm, I'm not worried about using, you know, I'm worried about other stuff. That is exactly what I wanted to hear. That was the message. That's the message right there. No matter what, no matter what, that's not, that's not in the cards for me. I'm not romanticizing it. This is not a ticket out. I have, no. I've built a life for myself that I love. I love my of. life. It's I'm like, proud of. I've yeah. never been. I've never been proud of anything in my life, and I'm so proud of this life that I've built. You know, and like that's a real honor. That's the promises. Like, like it's fucking annoying because I remember like 
I used to go to meetings and I would hear someone say like, what, what's the topic for today? And the guy would be like, I want to talk about the promises. And I would raise my hand and I'd be like, can't we just talk about regret? You know, all I have is regret, you know, and I didn't want to hear that shit about the yeah. promises. Uh-huh. And I'm like happy beyond my, my life is beyond my wildest dreams yes. in this moment, you know, and I feel sick. I feel like vomit coming up in my mouth that I could say those words that I've like drank the Kool-Aid and yes. the Kool-Aid is weak. Yes. You know, it's you're just dr- like, but it's true. You drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Now you're dishing it out. You know, it, it's amazing. It's, it's miraculous and it's crazy. And, uh, and it's, I'm, I'm very, very, very lucky. And I'm very grateful to be in this spot. So what is the future for Dopey? Well, we did, we already did. I say we, you know, I think I'm always going to say we. That's fine. That's fine. Um, Spirit lives on, baby. We did an episode with his girlfriend about finding his body, and that was incredibly powerful. Then I went to the funeral, and I got to be a pallbearer in his funeral, which was like a super honor, a gift of recovery. And after the wake, I had four of his friends talk, or five of his friends talk about him, uh, like like a sort of sober wake about like the goofy shit he did in recovery. Uh, then I had Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest, who both treated him, talk about relapse and him. And then I was like, I can't just make Dopey the show about Chris. You know, Dopey's about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. It's not about, I mean, Chris is obviously about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. But Dopey can't just be about Chris. So I, um, I got a buddy of mine who actually wasn't in recovery and who wasn't an addict. He's just like a friend of mine. And uh, I was like, can you just sit with me and I'm going to do Dopey, you know, and he had been on Dopey and, and we did an episode and we had uh, this guy, Nick Reiner, who's Rob Reiner's son on the show. And he's a fucking train wreck of an addict. Great guy. Um, and he, he came on and my dad came on and we had a funny, funny, funny show. And I was like, OK. And then what did I do? And then I just had an episode with uh, this MTV teen mom, Amber Portwood. And uh and she was awesome. And and now I'm planning, you know, what I'm planning on doing is making the show. Um, I don't think I'll ever have another partner on the show, but I will definitely have rotating hosts. I will use different people to come on the show. Like I wanted you to pop in, but there was no time. When I when I wanted you to pop in, like I, like it was for the Nick Reiner episode, but like thing, things go along and like I, I love Dopey to be off balanced. And I love having a few possible things that I could bring in if I have to. You know, that's how we've always done it. And so I want Dopey to stay off balance. And Chris always wanted to do what you do and have a format. And he says, Dave, we need to have a format. And I said, Chris, I want to have 30 formats. And we can rotate between the formats and we'll be like the Wu-Tang Clan. And nobody will know what to expect. You know, and that's what, that's what I want Dopey to be like. Dopey will just be like it was. It will never be like it was, though, because what Dopey really was, it was an incredible manifestation of our friendship. And it was beautiful because our our rapport was so beautiful. Um, But it will be Dopey. You know, it won't be Dopey with Dave and Chris, but it will be Dopey. And it'll be about drugs, addiction, dumb shit, recovery. And it will be um, the best I can do. And and, and and, and our our promise, we made a, a pact. And the pact was that we were going to do Dopey as long as it was fun. And it was always fun. And it still is. 
you know, I love, I love doing the show. I love planning it. I love seeing what I can do. I love figuring out what I can make, you know, and I'm going to keep making it as long as it's fun. But once it stops being fun, maybe I'll do 10 episodes that aren't fun. And then I'll be like, I can't, it's done, you know, but hopefully it won't stop being fun. I, I mean, I personally think like the sky is the limit for Dopey. You know, I, I always thought Dopey could be a TV show, you know, like, like a morning, like a morning, like Regis and Kathy Lee. Like I thought Dopey could be the junkies, Regis and Kathy Lee. That's what I don't I know about, to. I don't know about morning, but maybe oh, late yeah. night. No, but I don't, I can't stay up late. <laughs> I'm up in the morning. You know, you can't I, be dropping I, I, shit I, like that in the morning. <laughs> That's, that's just, that's just, that's how it is, you know? Um, and I, and I always wanted it to be a show. Like I always looked at recovering addicts and using addicts as a secret society. And I always thought of dopey as kind of like Harry Potter, like the muggles don't know about what we know about. The and Illuminati. we talk about shit. Exactly. And, and like, but, but we live in a world that they're not aware of. And yet we have to conform to the straight world. And yet here we are like grocery shopping, looking at like things we used to buy when we used or, or, or even like how you felt when you were high or how you felt when you were kicking in the grocery store, trying to get enough money to buy X, Y, or Z or wherever, or on the street or on the subway. And you see somebody who's sick, you know, you see somebody who's dope sick and you know where they're at, or you see somebody who's high. It's like, that's what dopey's about. It's about like, we all lived this life and we shared it, you know, and like now we honor it. And even, and we don't, we don't glorify, but we, we talk about what happened because it happened. You know, we're not ashamed of what happened. It's our life. You know what I mean? It's like, if you're ashamed of your life, how are you going to fucking keep your head up as you move on in recovery? Like the things that I did high were ridiculous and some were very shameful but I still think that there is value to them. And I still think there's a ton of comedy and there's a ton of like cosmic nuance that, that is fun in the story. You know, and I still don't think it's glorifying. You know, I just but don't. I, I do that every week. Exactly. I, so you know I, what I'm about. I do that. I know exactly what you're talking about. So, so have me on the show. Just, of course. Just do have you make me one of your rotating hosts, man. But give me some notice. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> remember, I like a little structure. Give me a little notice so I make sure I have, you know, I'm open. I'm open. But fuck, I'd love to do it. I love letting loose on dopey, dropping, you know, thousands of f bombs. You know what I mean? Whatever, Dude, man. I, Whatever. It doesn't matter. Not- your dopey, your dopey episode was so good because you could feel the shackles coming off. Yeah, and totally. You could see your eyes, like you know, popping out. Yes, you know, it was so much freedom and fun. And of course, I want you to be in the rotation because you're yeah. amazing. Your voice is amazing, and what you accomplish is amazing, and your audience is amazing. And of course, why shouldn't we unite these audiences for for an episode or two? Bring it on, whatever. Bring it you on. Know, Let's I'm, do this. I'm totally down. Totally down. You were, you were that. I mean, I contacted you right then. I was like. I think I might need you to pop in. You know what I mean? Like, but then it's it's very hard to orchestrate. And also, like, in terms of guest hosts, like I fear doing guest hosts that aren't sitting with me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like because like yeah. you can we're not losing any communication like this because you have this down. But I don't I don't have Zoom. You know what I mean? I have the I like hold the phone to the microphone. It's very awkward. Isn't you know this, I mean? this more is comfortable? Existence. This is comfortable. How, do How does it record? Okay, so what I use is I use um, 
Uh, Pizo, Pizo, P-I-E-Z-O. I have a Mac. Do you have a Mac? Yeah. Okay, so I have a Mac. I've got my $60 mic. I've got the Pizo software that I think was 30 bucks lifetime. And then the Zoom software that is 14 bucks a month. And we do this. We do this, which is like, I see you, you see me. It's it, the way the bandwidth or the way that the software is so much better than Skype. Like this, yeah. we, we've Skype been, is like the- we've been doing this for two hours and it's as comfortable as could be just the way we started. As soon as I used this the first time, I said, dude, Skype, ciao. I will never, yeah. you, we've broken up officially, divorced. You know, Skype is such a mess, but this Dude, is great. I mean, like this is. I mean, like I could see doing it with you like this, you know. So I'm down. I should bring get it this on, stuff. brother. So you don't you don't record it on GarageBand. You record it on Piso. No, I on Piso because it does. It records it. Well, I don't even know. I've never even tried with GarageBand, but this one, it has uh, the the multi track. So I have the yeah. two, and it makes it so much easier for me to edit when there's the two tracks. All right, I'll check it out. I'll look into it. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Just hit me up. Dave, we've been on this call for two hours, 11 minutes. I'm not going to have... Hope, I've got no other questions for you. I hope you get a lot out of it. <laughs> I hope you can find a lot to cut out of it. There's nothing cutting out. I'm not editing any, any of it. I'm not going to edit any of this. It's spectacular. Gonna it. I'm just going to play it. I'm just going to play it. Dude, it was raw. It was real. It was authentic. It was everything I hoped it would be. Um, and I'm really glad that you got open, honest, and vulnerable with us because I know this is not easy. It's a shame. And I, I really want to say, you know, the one thing I don't think I said is like, if you're out there and you think you're getting away with this, you might die, you know? And if you don't want to die, just tell somebody, you know, just tell somebody. So then if, you know, if you die, like somebody knows, you know, it's not a mystery. Nobody's trying to put it together. And maybe you really don't want to be in that situation, you know? So just tell somebody or, or like if you see somebody who you think is clean and they're showing signs that are a little weird, just know that they're probably not clean. You know, I didn't see it, you know, and I would have loved to hear somebody tell me that, you know, I want somebody to take away from something from this besides that Dopey's a good show. Now, Dopey's a good show. Dopey's but take a away spectacular from this, show. Take away from this that, you know, you can get better and that people want to help you and that life is better clean in my, in my estimation. I don't think, you know, also when Chris was getting high as opposed to being clean, I don't think he was happy. I don't think he was having fun. I think he was fucking miserable. You know, I think he was miserable. I think maybe, maybe one time he probably felt something good and then he was just trying to feel that again, if even. I bet there was tons of guilt, tons of pain, tons of shame, you know. And that's all. You know, I just Dave, I just want people, you know. Did you, did, did you ever relapse? Uh, of course. I basically lived a life of relapse. I'm clean three years. You know, I used since I was 20. I'm 44. I used, I used since I was 17, whatever, you know. How okay. magical and wonderful were those times of relapse? I don't even know if you'd call them relapse. I don't think I ever stopped using. I, I just never wanted to stop using. I always wanted to stay high when I wasn't using I was just in pain. You know what I mean? Like I didn't find recovery until now, you know, I didn't, I didn't find it. So I never like God, God willing, I will not relapse because like Jesus Christ, but it's like the pain that I could imagine from losing this life is just 
you know, it sounds terrible. You know, I don't, I don't intend on relapsing. Well, that was the, that was the God sent for me. The relapse, the relapse that I had, that was the gift given to me of desperation because it was two months, two months of relapse, and it was utter horror. It was, I was so miserable in so much pain. I could not recap. I was, you know, you're chasing the high, you're chasing the high, you're chasing the high, and I'm trying this and I'm trying that and I'm all I can think about is my sponsor and the meetings and I got to pick up a white chip and all this craziness that says this is miserable I'd rather be dead than than this because this is not this is not what I imagined this is not what I expected and I think that there's there's those of you out there listening that have been through that that have relapsed and lost their time you're never going to get that back you can relapse again, and you're not getting high. The high time is over. Dopamine, yeah. your your receptors are blown. You're 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 done. It's 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 over. It's over. I'm I'm I know this. I know that no matter what kind of psychotic episode possesses me to think that oh maybe I could do a little bit this time. I play the tape through, man. I play the tape through. I know exactly what is going to happen. Well, I think, I think, I think that's a real, a real thing, you know, to say, to know that it's over. You know, I think, I think that's how, that's how I feel about it. It's just, it's over. It's over. You know, there's nothing else to it. There, there is no, um, there is no fun there. And like, like I always say the same thing, like, you could put every substance in the world in front of me. I will never get high again. Like I got high. It will never reach. I mean, and I'm not saying because I got so high, I'm saying it's done. Like you said, the dopamine is used up. There is a cap on this experience and the cap is, is, is on past that cap is only misery, death, poverty, debaucherousness, and like desperation of, of colossal proportions where nobody loves you. People love you, but nobody trusts you, and you don't have anything. It's just terrible. It's not like you think it is, you know. And I'm talking to the audience. You know what I mean? Anybody who thinks it's something glamorous or something like it was, it isn't. You know, maybe if you're a kid and you have, you know, another ten years of fucking your shit up, by all means, you know. But I'm trying to be a cautionary tale over here. You know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't get clean until I was fucking forty. You know, so like, I I definitely. The cap is, is is on the genie, you know. <laughs> yeah, and in all fairness, what I wanted you on the show for, uh, you said I think maybe twenty minutes ago, I wanted you to tell the audience, I'm done. In case you were wondering, I'm not going to commemorate Chris's death by getting high. Exactly. I'm not in any sort of position whatsoever to lose everything that I've worked for in my life. The best that my life has ever been, in no way, shape, or form, am I prepared to lose that. And that's what I wanted to hear. That's what our listeners want to hear. It's the truth. That, that's, not, that's, not, that's not the legacy. It's the truth. It's the truth. And uh, I want to thank you. Like, you always, like, set a bar for us. Like, we always, like, felt like we were in it with you. And, uh, and, and you were always very kind to us. 
you always like gave us information and you always shared what you were going through and you didn't have to. And we had a bond and we still do obviously. Yes. But like, but I, I'm grateful for it. And I just want you to know how much Chris loved it. Chris loved you and he loved uh, our thing, you know? And like the second you came on our show, he was like convinced of who you were and that it was real, you know? And it's important that you should know that, you know what I mean? That's all I have to say about it. Well, I've loved you guys since the time I did that episode. We've been friends ever since. Like you said, you guys have reached out to me and we've talked on multiple occasions. I love Chris. I absolutely, absolutely love Chris. I love this story. I love this genius. Brilliant. Brilliant, good-looking kid. Everything in the world going for him. Everything in the world going for him. Um, He will be missed. And yes, I love you. I love him. I love Dopey. Well, we love you too. We love you too. Even Scott Countryman deep down loves you. I know he does. I love you, Scott. Now, let me just say one more thing. The most profound thing, and I don't know if it's the most profound thing, but it was something my sponsor said after Chris died that I just thought was like, blew my mind. He just said, he said, this is Chris carrying the message, you know, like him, you know, more than anything, him not doing the work and dying is him carrying the message, you know, and I know that Chris knows that's true too. You know, like he, he gave up all the stuff. He gave up all the spiritual stuff. He replaced it with all the school stuff. And in the end, that's carrying the message. It's brutal. It's a brutal piece of information, but it's something that everybody should take with them. You know, that, that recovery, it works if you fucking work it. I hate cliches, but if you don't work it, it doesn't work. It's a hundred percent true. You know, that's all. And we love Chris too. Chris, if you're, if you're listening to share in heaven, Go fuck yourself. You should have stuck around, you fucking bastard. But I love you. I love you too, Chris. Love you. Miss you. Miss you. He would have. He would have loved all this shit too. He would have loved all of this shit more than anybody. He would have loved every bit of it, like you said. Like you said, we should have staged this. <laughs> he would have loved it. He really would have. Thank you so much, Omar. I really appreciate it. We are going to close this out for Chris the way he would have wanted to close this out. So it's going to be, uh, we've now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as Chris would say, toodles. And as I would say, you don't have to say toodles. You never have to say toodles. I'm closing this with toodles. You know, I'm closing every fucking dopey with, because Chris is dead, I have to fucking say toodles. Fucking Chris. (laughs) thank you omar i really appreciate it it was awesome from the bottom of my heart man i love you love you too man thanks thank you for joining us on the share recovery podcast to check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story go to www.thesharepodcast.com while you're on the website don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news podcasts and interviews Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.